Lights, camera, action. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Keenan Bonner, and we have Ashley Goff with us for his Movie Madness debut today too. The matchup we'll be getting into is 2014's Gone Girl versus 2015's The Big Short. How are we doing today? All good. Very, very good. Thanks, mate. You okay? Not too bad. So we don't have any news of the week this week as we have a busy week to get into. We will start with Gone Girl, a film I believe uh, the two of you watched together in Australia to narrow it down. Oh, is that when we watched it? I think so, yeah. yeah. I'm sure we did. I knew it was, yeah. I, I was trying to think of who I was at the cinema with, because that was literally, only, up until this week, was the only time I'd watched it. Uh, yeah, the exact same. Was the only, I'd only ever seen it once, and I was like, oh, right, that'll do. Surprises me that you've only seen it once, Goth, because whenever I've mentioned it, you've said that you're a very big fan. I think it's because I'm one of those people who read the book before I watched the film. Okay. So I think... Yeah, we'll get into that. In fact, I'm not sure if we were recording or not. Keenan seemed audibly almost disgusted at your love for the film when we mentioned it last week, and I'm pretty sure it was at the end of the episode. I don't think that's true. I, I, I didn't say I loved it that much, it, did I? I'll do it in my, key, in my best Keenan impression. And I said, and we should have got on with us next week. He said, what film are you doing again? And I said, Gone Girl in the Big Show. And fucking hey, he loves that film. <laughs> How is that being audibly disgusting? That's just making the point he loves our film. Well, the start of it was like, geez, Louise, how the hell does he love this film? Well, I've only seen it once. I texted you in the week to ask if he likes it. Hey? I texted you in the week, didn't I? So I don't think you like this film, do you? Oh, I like it. It's good. No, but that was my reason for thinking so. No, again, it wasn't. It was just, of all the times that Goff was going to come, it was just, of course, just this film. I just know he, look, I know he really likes it. Well, we will get straight into it, so let's get into Gone Girl. You've seen this girl around here. What'd she want? She wanted a gun. As you all know, my wife disappeared three days ago. Amy lost a lot of blood in there, and then somebody mopped it up. Why do they mop up the blood if they're trying to stage a crime scene? Where's your wife, Nick? You need to tell me. Whatever they found, I think it's safe to assume that it's very bad. In her own words, this man of mine may kill me. I was scared for you before, and now I'm petrified. Gone Girl, rated R, October 3rd. Where's your wife, Keenan? Where is she? <laughs> now, Goff, you're, <laughs> you're semi-recently engaged. Watching this again, did this put you off at all? I, I, I probably will. I resonate with the film so much, to be honest. <laughs> um, no, nah, um, yeah, don't know how to answer that question. No, it didn't. <laughs> well, good when, I was, when I was doing, the re- when I was doing the, my research for the film, there's a lot of people complaining that they watched this on a first date and it was like, well, there's no real coming back from this. No, it's not. <laughs> well, the synopsis for this film, with his wife's disappearance having become the focus of an intense media circus, a man sees the spotlight turned on him when it's suspected that he may not be innocent. Mm-hmm. Keenan, what do you think the critics have to say about this one? Oh, mate, this is this. This will be your eight point five's out of ten. I think it's only an eight point one. 
which uh, did surprise me, but it is it has made its way into the IMDb top 250, I think. It's rare for me to overestimate a film, so that should yeah. give you some indication. Well, the critics then. Fincher combines a maze-like plot with brutal drama to create an unmissable thriller. A brilliant example of a book-to-film adaption that managed to stay faithful to the novel, while also injecting the story with its own inventive style. Gone Girl not only entertains us, but engages the viewer. This is one creepy masterpiece. And there's that word again, Keenan. Mm. The film was one shocking surprise after another. A dark, entertaining, runaway bullet train. Finally, Gone Girl achieves something rather unusual. It keeps us engaged and eager to know what will happen next, even as we're not sure that we like the people who are most affected by the story's events. Now, I'll set my stall out early here, Keenan. I'm going back to back. I think it's the second masterpiece in two weeks. This is closer to a masterpiece. I still think you disrespected prisoners, but that's one for... Well, actually, it's not one for the second round. It was eliminated last week. So I've just... I'll tell tell you all you need to know, my friend. Myself for the second time in two weeks. Um, If we start with the casting, as we always do, this could have been very different. Reese Witherspoon obtained the rights from Gillian Flynn in 2012 and decided mm. to produce it under her new production label, Pacific Standard. She decided that she would play the role of Amy. She gets David Fincher on board with her vision of the film. She hears his vision of the film and basically says, yeah, in my vision of the film, you aren't Amy. And okay, has a very serious conversation with her and basically explains, I don't think you can do this role in the way that, that I think this, this role should be played. I, I think he, well, for the film he produces, I think he's probably right, no? Yeah, well, it, it must have been a convincing conversation because usually if she's gone to the, the, the way of actually obtaining the rights to the film, she's paid yeah. a lot of money. You'd usually just say, well, fuck you, I'll find another person to direct this. <laughs> yeah, I feel like David Fincher, you just don't say fuck you to, no? No. Um, so, he goes on to cast a 35-year-old Rosamund Pike as Amy Dunn. He says numerous reasons. Um, she she was unclear of her age. He was unclear of her age by her appearance, and she could pass for someone older or younger. And you you can try and explain this one. He said he loved the fact that she was an only child. Okay. And that I was don't something know. that he thought was really, really important to be able to get into the headspace of Amy Dunn. No idea, mate, to be honest. Is that is that just alluding to the fact that her character is the only child and obviously like her par- her parents' golden child because she's the only one kind of thing so she could be used to it? And like, like you said, get into the head of the character. Yeah, I mean, I've got some more quotes from him, but he's done countless interviews from this film. And yes, he, I mean, he just says some strange things, which some will agree with, some we don't. Um, the character of Tanner Boltz was initially written as an Alec Baldwin type, which he says he basically just could not stand to make. <laughs> and so I've got Tyler Perry in instead. I actually rate Tyler Perry in this. I just feel like he 
gets it so spot on of just being he's just bemused the whole time and I think that's exactly what the character needed just bemused yeah. by like, the fucked up situation he said you didn't need another asshole character in this and instead he wanted Tyler Perry to play it like a talk show host someone that was personable understanding could add some humour that he sprinkled throughout the film and he just thought he had the presence that he needed on screen that even though right from the start, and I've got a bit more of a section on him later, his character is essentially sold as he defends the indefensible and he needed to make sure that the person didn't look like that. Yeah, uh, and I think Alec Baldwin would fit that description, <laughs> I think, more. As in, like, Alec looking Baldwin like an asshole. asshole. Yeah. 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 Um, this was the feature film debut of Carrie Coon, who plays uh, Margot Dunn. Referred to as Go throughout this, which is what Alex thought your name was, uh, Go. <laughs> now, I think I mentioned this to you, Keenan, but didn't say what it was. My favourite piece of trivia here from any film we've done in this bracket. Okay. David Fincher cast Emily Ratajkowski on the recommendation of Ben Affleck. Fincher <laughs> admitted that he had no idea who she was until Affleck told him to watch her appearance in the infamous Robin Thicke's Blurred Lines music video where she's fully naked. <laughs> uh, ben Affleck, some boy, has been sad. You can see that he is not acting at all. When he buries his face in her chest, he's not acting. Those giant come-on-me tits, as they're described. <laughs> um, winner of the Season 3 Julio Baptista Award, Keenan? No comment. Come on. You better than this competition now. with Nadia from American Pie only a fortnight ago. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know what you think I'm referring to, Keen, and the Julio Baptista Award could really mean anything. You're right, it could. But when said by someone of your ilk, it means only one thing. <laughs> I don't know what that means, and I don't want to know what that means. Oh, okay. Um, I won't call my... Well, now, now the next time I say I don't want to sound like a pig, this is going to spring to mind, but... You got it. Don't blame me, blame Affleck. <laughs> and the difference between me being piggish and him being piggish, I get piggish, I guess, is he's a lot more handsome, so he gets away with it. Yeah, pretty much. There we go. I need to bulk up like Batman. <laughs> or bulking up's the opposite of what I'm trying to do. <laughs> One that maybe you could consider more, Charlize Theron was heavily linked to the role of Amy before Rosamund Pike signed on. I think she would be, I don't know how to describe this, I think she would be too upfront. I get what you mean. Thank you. I didn't I think, think you would. I think she'd be good. I think she'd be good, but she would be too old, perhaps. Can she? Oh, As well. in the whole Rosamund Pike thing, like Fincher said, looks either younger or older. It's a bit confusing. Can she Whereas... play the angel-facedness so well? Because... For an hour and ten minutes of this film, we're supposed to believe that she's some whiter-than-white, never-hurt-a-fly character. And even yeah. if you just look at the films that Charlize Theron's done around the time, what, Mad Max are the most recent? Actually, she's done Mad Max, and she did that um one where they ruined it by calling her, like, the female James Bond, if you remember the one I'm on. It was called Atomic something. Yeah, it was called Atomic. Yeah, and so she's done both of these. I don't know if you can slot her in there and have her do the same thing. It's actually quite a good film, Atomic. Yeah, I just, whenever you put that at the front, 
the reviews are always just going to be bombed on it because people are comparing it to. It's not yeah. quite James Bond. And it's, oh, we've said them here, haven't we? As multiple others have said, you don't need a female James Bond. You need a completely original character, mm-hmm. which is what mm-hmm. you got there. And surprised that there was no sequel. Yeah, it was very good. Um, United have equalised, by the way, Goff, if you're worried. I'm pretending it's not happening, to be honest. But, yeah. Can I just say, I don't know if I'm the only one, because you, you put some very positive comments about it, but I, I actually found Rosamund Pike to be quite boring throughout the film. We're going to get onto her, on her, but this is... I was going to say the most egregious take since and then go a week ago when Keenan wasn't a fan of Prisoners, so... Other than that, we're going back to another Fincher film. And that was Keenan's thoughts on Brad Pitt, who was considered to play Nick Dunn, but never seriously close. Okay. Do you know who the first choice was, Keenan? No. Would have got the role if he wasn't contractually obliged to film the final season of Mad Men. Oh, John Hamm. John Hamm. Yeah, he could do it. I don't know. I... Yeah, he can. Yeah, he, he could have done this. When, in fact, his face fits perfectly. When, when I just said an Alec Baldwin type, you both knew exactly what I meant. Mm-hmm. I actually think John Hamm is in that bracket. Oh, harsh. No, I don't like that from you. What I thought? Oh, what is in like the asshole bracket? He, he, every no. character, has he ever played a character that isn't smug? Smug doesn't make you an arsehole. No, but you I should know that. I, well, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think it fits in the same way. All I'm going to have in my head for a start is him in the town saying, "We're a national organisation, buddy." And then, what's he done recently around this time? Baby Driver. Even as a nicer guy, he's still um, an arsehole. Yeah. I don't think. I don't, I don't know. We're about to get into Ben Affleck, so maybe we'll speak a bit more about it then. Can you have a guess, either of you, who you think the first choice was going to be to star opposite Reese Witherspoon? Uh, no, Chris huge, Evans, huge movie star. I think you said playing is Keenan. Playing uh, who? Playing Nick. Oh, playing Nick. Um, no idea. Your words, Keenan. Biggest in the world. The last remaining movie star. Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Fuck oh, off. Yeah. By the way, Top Gun 2 proved that I was on the right track. Harper but. texted me last night at about 1am. Mm. Just like amped. He was like, I have just watched Top Gun 2. <laughs> I'm so fired up. This is, this is unbelievable. Well, I've not seen Top Gun 1, so I can't really do a lot for you here. And yeah, it was like he just banged about six Red Bulls and whatever else. And Tom Cruise, maybe the bit of baby oil, has just got him completely going. But Top Gun Two proves my point. I, I completely, I completely agree. He what? got, he, he got that done. He opened it. He sold it. He won. Mate, I just, the fucking last remaining movie star. I didn't disagree at the time. It was a agreement when we did whatever the Tom Cruise one is where he meets Pablo Escobar. American made. There we go. I'm very surprised you haven't even seen the first one, It never did a lot for me, and then 
all, all, all I knew of the film, honestly, was um, I just saw it described as the most camp film ever made. I am hugely homoerotic. <laughs> and when I've got two films to watch a week anyway, didn't slot it in. Um, sounds like Tom Cruise may have. Anyway, hmm. ben, Aff- ben Affleck. His weight goes up and down and up and down throughout this because he's preparing to film Batman Dawn of Justice. Yeah. So he's smashing it around this time what he's done in town. He's going into this. He must have known this was going to be huge. And I think after turning down superhero films earlier in his career, well, after Daredevil, he's like, no, thank you. He just basically says, fuck it. <laughs> Sign me up. I'll be Batman. <laughs> And then writes off actually quite a significant next five, ten years. But Fincher talking about Ben Affleck, he said, he fits hand in glove with what Nick has to be. He has to be the homecoming king in a movie where you have a pivotal scene where a person stands next to a poster of his missing wife and is smiling. That's something he knows how to do. I could go through Google, I could show him just one. I want one of these. He gets his feet run over with a steamroller and then he gets his ankles run over then he gets his shins run over then his knees, and then both femurs, his pelvis, and his lower back. You get crushed. Ben has been through that. He knows what it means to be tossed by the 30-foot waves of public perception. He also has great wit about it. He knows it has nothing to do with you, and at a certain point it has nothing to do with you at all. The symbol of you becomes more important than your actual participation. So essentially, he's cast Ben Affleck to be Ben Affleck, and it's worked a charm. That's, that's exactly what, what was needed. I, I actually wrote that down when I was watching the film. I was just writing a few notes and I wrote that exact thing saying Ben Affleck is playing Ben Affleck. Um, you need someone as well who, who the character from the book isn't, isn't supposed to be likable. You think actually he's a bit of a prick. And I think <laughs> Ben Affleck comes across as, as one. So he's not really having to put too much effort into it. You know that? That like gif or that meme of him smoking that cigarette when he's just fed up yeah. with life. That's all he had to do throughout that whole film, and I think he just did it perfectly. Well, he had the the life memed out of him, didn't yeah. he, during the press run for Batman, where there was the "Hello Darkness, my old friend" clips and all of that going <laughs> on. And just looking back, I didn't perhaps realise how much people did hate him, and I guess it's just. As much as I think we've praised him on here, Keenan, before, I think we actually had an episode where we went through his dating history. Yeah. Earlier episode, we must not have had much to talk about. But the downside of that is when you are dating very, very popular women, you are always going to be the fall guy when these relationships fall apart. Yes. I mean, cheating on JLo. <laughs> when you cheat on him as well, that's why you're the fall guy. No one's giving him flack for. Supposedly cheating on Anna Diarmas to get back with J-Lo. Which, as I said, that's United re-signing Ronaldo when uh, Gabriel Jesus is out there. Jesus Christ. Movie madness, Goff. I think, I think J-Lo's still got a bit more topper. Than Anna Diarmas? No, I meant than Ronaldo. Okay, okay. That was, I was about to be very offended. <laughs> I'll be watching three hours of uh, Marilyn Monroe otherwise, which may have undone some serious hard work because TikTok, Keenan, I am a newly crowned feminist icon. 
What are you on about? No, no, he my is, review, he my review of Marilyn Monroe, Anna Diarmas's last film. Several comments. Thank you so much for speaking out on this as a man. Is this on TikTok? It yep. is, and then I've opened by comparing Shannon Elizabeth Julio's to and uh, Ratajkowski's. So, look, at some point, <laughs> Keenan will rub off on me. The best part, the best part of uh, of that whole thing about the TikTok is is he is one he is he is carefully selected the clip that makes him sound like a fan this cycle. Get the fucking rest of it. I put the whole review up. I put the whole review up. Forget forget Two the rest parties. of it. In fact, <laughs> me um, subtitling Keenan's one line in the whole clip saying, yeah, the director sounds like a bit of a prick, to be honest. And that does was... He, uh, does he not sound like a bit of a prick? He does, so maybe they were speaking to you the whole time. They were thanking you for speaking out. Yeah, well, what can you say? Now, just before I forget this, um, Nick, the thing that ultimately sets this whole thing in motion is not just that he's cheating on his wife. It's not that he's just cheating on her with a younger and what she perceives to be a better-looking version. It's the replicating of the icing sugar kiss. That's what sends her over the edge. Yeah, and, is that. and I understand she's going to be upset about that. But if that's your move, that's your move. If that's your Ertzel Banks shot, <laughs> you pull that out of the bag for M. Ratajkowski. At that point, though, obviously we go on to find out she's a complete fucking psychopath. But we've already established that everything he owns is in her name, including the house, the bar, everything. He, she could absolutely destroy him, like leave him homeless, and and that that, that would be that that would be enough. But yeah, she has to go one step too far. That that icing sugar kiss, she just cannot believe he's used that move again. Maybe she'd have stopped if it wasn't for that kiss. She'd have stopped at that level of just destroying him financially. But no, Keenan, fourth fourth and one in the Super Bowl, you've got to go into that box of tricks, and if that fake punt has been working the whole way through this season. You go back to that fake punt and look, Affleck done what he got to do. Nick done. His wife wasn't doing much for him. Gets a bit odd by the fact that it's his student. I have glossed over that part in this in this discussion. If we take that part out of it. Not good, yeah. but could be worse. 2-1 United, by the way. Yeah, I'm uh, Anthony Martial. Um... The soundtrack for this, David Fincher's musical brief to Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, was based upon a visit he paid to a spa, wherein the music meant to relax him, he perceived as creepy, and it made him feel uncomfortable. He asked them to replicate that. What is someone is someone pumping up a football here? There's some squeaking. Oh, it's a door. I was letting a dog out. Blimey. Animals in your house need some bit of discipline. Hey, look, I don't even want them. this is why they're playing up because they've heard you say that Um, so he said this gave him the idea to set the music as though it's passive and relaxing but when you listen a bit deeper it does actually instill a sense of dread and we'll get into a particular moment later on when a friend of the pod NPH meets his end the first lines of this film 
Nick said, when I think of my wife, I always think of the back of her head. I picture cracking her lovely skull, unspooling her brain, trying to get answers. The primal questions of a marriage. What are you thinking? How are you feeling? What have we done to each other? And what will we do? So it starts off like it's going to be something nice. <laughs> it turns into something quite horrible. And then it's almost in the guise of, but I'm doing this because I love my wife and I'd rather know more about our relationship and how we can help it. And on a rewatch, you do see that they just lay out the entire course of the film in that one singular line. Yeah, it gives like a view, doesn't it, that their their marriage isn't all as it seems. Like you said, it starts off like, oh, this is nice. It's like, hang on, where's this going? One thing, Keenan, that this film perhaps does teach you, and films for the last 20 years or so have taught us, any just attempt at role-playing or like meta-commentary when at a party is foolproof. There is no better way than to seemingly charm someone than to go across and uh, almost just put on a bit of a front claiming you're someone else. And Nick, they have this whole chat about books and all sorts here, secures in the bag. Hmm. Flying sometimes works, mate. What can you say? What If there is a criticism of this film, uh, bearing in mind how I uh, announced it earlier, do you think some of these opening scenes, Keenan, feel a little wooden? Uh, Particularly that party scene. A little. But part, I think part of that is also you just, you really don't give a shit about characters at this stage, do you? Well, Goff, I would ask you, do you think if that is the case, it's because we're seeing them from Amy's diaries view? And again, that's something where we have some blanks filled in on a rewatch. Yeah, no, 100%. You're right. It is because it's all from her point of view of, of how they met. Um, the book, I'm not, I don't want to keep going on about the book no, too they're much. All but good. It is actually slightly different. It's not as simple as them just meeting at a party. There is, what they've missed out is that they don't actually see each other again for about eight months, eight weeks, sorry. Okay. And then they just so happen to be walking past each other in the street, but that's a, uh, a situation set up by Amy. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you get like a little glimpse there, but you don't find that out until later in the book that it was set up. So going back to your question, yeah, I think it probably comes across as that because it's her way of like telling her story. Well, something that does help with the continuity of um, book to screen is that Gillian Flynn actually writes the screenplay for this. And David Fincher adapted... Uh, Benjamin Button as well and he's done other books too and so he's not shy about doing this and staying relatively close to the text and he just had Gillian Flynn alongside him the whole time and he said he sometimes has some issues with uh, writers where they have almost like an acorn in their book that feels so big when it's on the text that he has to explain I agree with you that this is a lovely detail to have but it doesn't translate to the screen and it doesn't feel as big there and so we need to find another way that's more in your face to present this and he said it was so good working with Gillian Flynn because it, if he ever said we perhaps can't do this she'd immediately say well, why do we not do this instead rather than having a battle and so it was really a collaborative project he insists that he's never credited as a writer on any of his films 
but it does seem that they were quite a good match to get this together. And in what was a two and a half hour film already, Goff, maybe did help to not have this go into three, three and a half hours that just put so many people off before they even get to the cinema. No, no I completely agree with that. Like the book itself, sorry, the, the film itself does stay about, I'd say, 85, 90% true to the yeah. book. Um, yeah, you've obviously only got a limited time frame with a film, so you're not going to be able to put everything in there. Um, so you're going to have to cut some things out. Going back to a scene you mentioned, which we'll obviously talk about with, uh, with Neil Patrick Harris later yeah. as well, that was actually, I think, made better yeah, than in I've the book. The and that is due to, yeah, <laughs> due to the fact that they're working together. They've obviously spitballed ideas and, nice. and improved on it. Yeah. It is interesting because um, I guess having them working together it ensures that something that he may feel is a minute detail doesn't get lost in something that's really key to developing the character. And it just ensures that we don't veer off course. And so having this together, I think you could have had this be longer, but there are a certain amount of people that aren't prepared to wait that. And me and Keenan always use Man on Fire as the comparison point that, yes, the first 45 minutes to an hour may not be the most riveting film you've ever seen, but you also, you almost don't get the payoff then of the rest of it if you don't have that. And we spend the first hour and seven minutes of this film, which is when we get the big reveal, with her just creating the doubt. And so... He goes to the bar, he's depressed, he's kind of slumping on his shoulders and all of this. And we, we get to the point where the police arrive and they're immediately suspicious and they immediately create suspicion within us. Just the little things like the blood on the wall, the looks they give him. And as we've said, this entire first half of the film is just a whitewashing job just to make her seem like the most perfect woman that there could ever be. I think I think they did that really well as well. Like you said, the little looks they give each other, which you wouldn't necessarily pick up if you were reading in a book. Um, like I, I knew the outcome, and even I was starting to think that it was guilty at one point, and I, I knew he hadn't done it. Yeah. So, so that's how well it was done, I think. It was just, yeah, things like the little looks, just the, obviously in certain, certain bits of, of music at certain points of the film, I think that part of the film was done really well. So much will be said about Ben Affleck and Rosamund Pike here, Keenan. But Kim Dickens as Detective Boney is really good right throughout this. Mm-hmm. It's not... There's not... I mean, as a, a general rule, there's not really a misstep in this, is there? I think the casting's about as good as you there's, can imagine in terms I think of the so. lesser roles. I think so, yeah. There's no one... No one sticks out as full. Didn't like that, really, do they? Coppers are great. Tyler Perry, you two touched on earlier on. Fantastic. MPH, let's be honest, he never puts in a bad show. Um, it, it's it runs well all the way through. Well, because even we've joked about Emma Ratajkowski, and I'm, I'm sure she heard the same when uh, she was cast mm. in the film. Mm. But when you hear about the processes that Fincher goes through, yeah. He isn't going to cast it just because she looks good topless in a Robin Thicke video. <laughs> and 
I mean, the, the tales of him, 80 takes of every yeah. single shot. Yeah, he, he, yeah. he's not just because Ben Affleck thinks she's fit, he's not going to go, yeah, you know what? I'll do no, no, so come and... Even if... The, 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 I think the, the biggest thing about that is even... You say if he took, took Ben Affleck on his word, he was like, yeah, yeah, she's great, let's get her in. If she's not willing to put the graft in for the scenes that she's in, Fincher doesn't strike me as the type of bloke who suffers fools. No, he commented, and I think when you hear him, he is trying very hard to not sound patronising and almost say... Because almost any props he gives her sounds like, no, no, honestly, she is good, as if you couldn't believe that to be the case anyway. Yeah. But he does speak and he says what a hard worker she was, how brilliant she was for the short time she was on set. And she spoke about how much she learned. And I think maybe she thought she was going to have more of a career in acting moving forwards. But sometimes what you need are these actors that really do have a point to prove because they're the ones that are going to go out of their way and go that extra mile even in the small role that she does have, because it's it's not the most important role in the film, but she has the role in playing the innocent person when she's at the uh, vigil, is it? Or like the gathering, basically, to discuss Amy and raise awareness. She's in the crowd there. You have her having to show the disgust. You have then the almost complete character switch when she meets up with Nick uh, at Margot's house. And then going on TV and whitewashing her image, uh, looking like a nun, I think, uh, she says. So all of this. I think, I think her, her role is also important in terms of making us dislike Nick more as well, though. Yeah. Because uh, by that point, you're like, you're a cunt. Mate. I don't even care if you're innocent or guilty. Just, just fuck off kind of thing. But so that's, that's her main, her main, uh, role in the, in the whole film, I think, just to make you dislike Nick even more. It's pretty important the detail that she's his student as well because that does tie in with the impression that we're having built of Nick that he uses his power to control Amy and so on. Yeah, I'd say so, yeah. It's just, it's probably not explored enough that on that subject but I think it's definitely touched upon so that you, you start thinking about it. The comparison that well, not comparison. The one I always mention and Keenan mentions without actually having seen the film, disgracefully, is it, it's not Kelly Brook in Piranha. I'm not watching fucking Kelly Brook in Piranha. You agreed to it, yeah? <laughs> no, I didn't agree to it. I swear you... I'm literally... I'm quite sure you actually agreed to this in a message earlier. Is that what you were trying to fucking say? You said okay. 1658. That's 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 a contract. Uh, I'll be honest, I was really busy at work and I didn't get that you were going for Piranha. So I just pressed, I just said okay, because I was hoping you'd be more self, more explanatory. And you, to be honest, now that I think about it, you weren't being cryptic at all, but because I was busy at work, I just didn't understand what you're on about. Man, so I put okay so you'd leave me alone. If we're talking cryptic, Goth, I sent him an emoji of a fish, which he wasn't sure what I was referring to. Nope. And then I said, a type of fish often discussed on the podcast, a deadly fish that hunts in packs. I wasn't okay. being sly with that one. But no other context, that's all it was. No, well, we mention Piranha every week, and I do the thing oh, where okay. I ask Keenan to watch it, and he, we have this playful thing where he says he's not going to watch it when he knows he's going to watch it. And It's not a playful thing, I'm just not going to fucking watch it. It's probably a good thing, because... 
what is currently a head-to-head can be a three-way battle for that uh, award discussed earlier, so we'll move on. Um, the not knowing if his wife has friends, her blood type, this unravelling in the police interview. Goff, do you know your girlfriend's blood type? No. Um, they do reference after, don't they, but... Maybe it's not a thing you should know. <laughs> they do, yeah. They do say, "Why? Why would you know that?" <laughs> yeah. But it's very good because just the little things, like I'll be honest, if Goff would have turned around, but yeah, say negative, then I would have been a little bit creeped out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think it's actually probably more creepy to, to know it, isn't it? I don't. Know. I think so. Yeah, yeah. confirmed. But just the the sheer lack of details he does know about his wife. Like, if Keenan was kidnapped tomorrow. And the police call me in, and they want me saying he's your wife, but he's your co-host on a Thursday night. What, what <laughs> do you know about him? <laughs> Look, he likes sports, plays golf. He does. He won't watch Piranha. <laughs> and they'd be like, okay, you obviously know him very well. Um, and they'd go and find you. So if you are in trouble, Keenan, rest assured. I'll be honest, mate. If 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 for any reason I'm kidnapped, touch wood. If I'm abducted and held for ransom, and somehow word gets back to me that you're the man that they've tasked with tracking me down, I'm just telling the kidnappers well, to end it. You down. I'm, I'm helping with the police interviewer. No offence intended here. I think we actually are quite fortunate on like the list of people that you would try to kidnap in that. It's a, it's a big, it's a big, it's a big, 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 big bit of shit to be lifting. It's yeah. a two-man job. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's fine, mate. If I go dead weight, it's a, it's, it's two big men as well. Like kidnapping Rosamund Pike, far easier. Yeah, I mean, I'm probably, I'm, I could possibly be almost a good two Rosamund Pike. So, um, well, even as the relationship begins to unravel in the diary, she still seems pure. Nick is a cheater. But at this point, that's the worst he's done in the grand scheme of things. Um, he's not a murderer yet. And then, Valentine's Day 2012, she writes, I thought I'd buy a gun. And shortly, uh, and the same uh, entry, what scared me wasn't that he pushed me. What scared me was how much he'd wanted to hurt me more. What scared me was that I'd finally realised I'm frightened of my own husband. Keenan Goth read the book. We were mm. both unaware. Was there ever a point where you thought that Ben Affleck had killed his wife? I was all in, <laughs> mate. I'd be, I've been waiting to say this all evening because I knew nothing about this until I watched it in the cinema. I was shook the whole way through. So I, I think don't... this is why. Do you know like how many times have we spoken about a film during our? our, 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 our I knew what happened. Well, we spoke about prisoners last week, didn't we? And you said mm. almost it looked too like the He's... fact that so much has been done to torture this kid. And mm. um, slight spoiler there for Goff, who's not seen the film. Um, but you're saying like it can't be him. Yeah, but I, it's strange because this this doesn't enter the Law and Order bracket. No, and that film, yeah, the film last week a bit more complicated than that. But yeah. that's the point, isn't it? That you thought it... the way the film was structured, the fact that everything was pointing to this means that isn't the case, but in this situation they've done similar, but you still you still believe with the, the narrative they were pointing your way. Mate, 
I'm fully invested. I, was, I remember being in the cinema for this bloke, and I was like, I don't like him. One bit, and then I was like, yeah, he did it. And then it turns around, oh, shit. Sure. I don't know how much of the marketing you remember, but... None of it. They gave I remember away, the poster. They gave away none of the big plot reveals. And, nope. um it, It's very rare these days that you go into a film without any knowledge of where it's going. I had zero... Like, when I say no idea, I mean, not not a one. In the trailer, they showed the shot of her dead in the water. Mm. And then they have the line, I did not kill my wife. And so you go in... Oh, well, I guess she's dead. And you subconsciously start to believe that we're in for a whodunit film. Yeah, yeah, and I it's, get that. If it's not mm-hmm. Nick, who did it? Why did he do it? And the film is actually about him trying to prove his innocence. It's a little bit fugitive. The, the first... It's got fugitive vibes, isn't it? And did you notice the murdered wife is in this? What, from the fugitive? Yep. No, I did not. She does the interview with Ben Affleck for TV. Oh, shit. Oh, yes. Huh. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh. But that's what that's what it is, isn't it? I'm a, when he's, I did not kill my wife, I'm literally just waiting for Tommy Lee Jones to pop up and just shout, <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Some of the other marketing they did for this, um, big at the time, they created a Pinterest for Amy, which looked completely normal when you start to scroll through and then, like, buried in it amongst the, like, arts and crafts, there are, like, places to escape and all of this. And it was quite a good marketing thing, which we hadn't really seen much of since Cloverfield, which is the one I always go back to, and um, best marketing campaign I've, I've seen since when you look back at the Blair Witch stuff. So they went all in on this, and they managed to do so well. So even, I don't remember people talking about it as... Oh, the twist in that film, which we've spoken about before, is the most dickhead move you can do. Because then you are sat thinking, was that the twist? Is that the yeah, twist? Yeah, yeah. It was just really well done. And, uh, yeah, fair play to them for how they did keep this and how they built it. Because, as you say, they, uh, they had you convinced. No, I mean, yeah, fully. I was fully, fully in on it. And I just remember being, as the, as it slowly gets revealed and more and more. Just been like, eh? Every time. Yeah. Fully bought it. Fincher was asked how he built the dread in the film, and he said, it's not so much dread, it's that everything is balanced. I want to see arguments between characters where I agree with them, and situations that, depending on the outcome, is going to be horrible for one of the participants. I'm interested when you have a hard time rooting for one side as opposed to the other, because I just know that's going to come with a cost. Hmm. Rosamund Pike, then, for her performance, she said she drew inspiration from Nicole Kidman's performance in To Die For, Sharon Stone's in Basic Instinct, and she stu- she studied Carolyn Bassett Kennedy, the wife of John F. Kennedy, for the body language and her aloof mood. There the Sharon are... Stone bit, I get. I've not yeah. seen To Die For. There's a shot, actually, at the end of the film where she's being interviewed by the police that is very reminiscent of Basic Instinct, and you have a shot from behind her where it's just her singularly in a chair, and you've just got a line of men interviewing her. Yeah, I don't yeah. imagine that's why they did it, but it, it was it was a nice comparison. It's 
we don't often have a lot to feel patriotic about, and I don't know if I'm going to offend someone saying that, but other than sports, which we're not getting much of that currently. And when you do read and you see, like, Rosamund Pike's British and she's at the head of this masterpiece film, it is very cool when you can see these people that do transfer over and are able to make it big for themselves. No, I get what you're saying. I do, I, was, I get that. I was having a look through her IMDb. Which, which Bond is it she's in? Uh, that's what I was about to reference, Geoff. Oh, sorry. No, that's no, no, that's it. No, no. Die another day. Die another day. The double agent. Yeah. yeah. I was a big fan of her in that. We don't need to go through her whole IMDb, but Keenan says it always looks for her. So once she's done the Bond film, mm-hmm. you would look at her and think, okay, once you've been a Bond girl, or not technically a Bond girl, but you get what I mean. She's Bond girl adjacent. Halle Berry's the Bond girl in that. Yeah, Bond you're going mm-hmm. to take off. You're going to kick on from here. Mm-hmm. She does Pride and Prejudice, which not going to be too big, I would imagine, outside of here. But even no, I think that was pretty big. Even after this, I was kind of looking at, okay, where's the kind of role to show us that you've blown up? And it just looks like it's never really came. I don't know if maybe too many people just saw her as Amy Dunn after this. this what's she done after this? I actually don't know. Not, not a lot that you would... I mean, she... She voiced Lady Penelope in a Thunderbirds cartoon. <laughs> but there's nothing huge. Um, she's done a couple of Netflix jobs, a couple of films that... Essentially, she's not done a blockbuster. Okay. And that just shot me a bit, because she clearly has the range. Maybe she does Jack Reacher. And I was going to mention this earlier. She just has horrible chemistry with Tom Cruise in that. <laughs> but I do think... When in the last 20 years have I seen a female lead alongside Tom Cruise and thought, you two have great chemistry? <laughs> Mission in the last Impossible, 20 maybe years, the hmm? Mission Impossible, maybe the closest. He just feels like he's an awkward guy to match up on screen. Partly for the fact that he's Lissandro Martinez height. Yeah, that's, that's part of it. I don't know why it is, but it just is. The thing is, him and Reese Witherspoon are the duo. It's, I'm cringing so so much even just thinking about that. Yeah, I don't think it works. Did she? I probably should know the answer to this, but I don't. I assume she hit on it. It is standard Pacific, Pacific standard. Sorry, that produced produced this. Um, I know she retained the rights, so I'm assuming so. Hmm, if so, good for her. I like that. Um, I've got the IMDb page up. Does it say on here? Without me. It's not that, it's, it's, it's not that important, mate, to be honest. No. Am I, am I the only one who didn't rate it that much in this film? Yeah. Rosamund Pike? Yeah. I think it's... I, I think, and I haven't got a list here, one of the best villains performances I've ever seen. Yeah, it's really? phenomenal. Oh, it's unbelievable. I just thought she came across a bit wooden at times. That a bit, a bit monotone. I, I, I get would, it, but... I might yeah. even suggest, though, mate, that you, the difference between... I assume this is the case for you and all, by 
but I assume the difference there is you're taking part of that is you're taking what she is in the book where there is there is ultimately just because of different mediums and how you're able to that she's a more developed character in the book than she will be in the film I, I was I was going to mention that yeah I think because even, of the fact of I've read the book first yeah like, I know you said 90% to the major plot points but you've got well, I don't know how long the book is but you've got 300 pages to build little nuances like tiny little things where she does yeah. I don't know the, Gillian Flynn describes the way she moves moves her hands very or forth, or like something of that nature where it's small little things and you can build that and you build it and you get to layer it in a two and a half hour film you you just don't you don't have the ability so as two people who were, who were fresh to it we're looking at it as that's our version of it yeah, I completely agree. I was going to say, it, yeah, from the other way around, you two haven't read the book, so no. you've got no like preconceived image of what she should be. Yeah. So yeah, if I if I was coming at Alec with like your fresh pair of eyes, I'd probably agree with you. To be fair, um, so yeah, maybe I'm giving her a bit of a hard time, but it's my opinion. For me, she was just a bit. Average. I would. I'd probably got. Uh, I'd probably be inclined to lean towards Byron as a as a as a singular villain. Ridiculously good, just I, unbelievable. And I'll see your thoughts on here, Keenan. I take her over Heath Ledger's Joker. Ooh, fucking hell, Byron! No, genuine. And I probably I put it alongside Anton Chigurh in No Country for Old Men. Oh, alongside is bold. Very bold. I think she, and half it is because of the twist, which we're going to get to momentarily. I think the sheer impact of that, I think the ending of this film, if if she'd gone out in a blaze of glory, it, it wouldn't stack up the same. She adapts, she overcomes in this. It has one of the most shocking scenes of the 2000s in the death of MPH, RIP. Everything here, I think, it's just, uh, it's more realistic. And there are some things that you have to suspend. Essentially, There are parts of this, aren't there, where don't ask questions that you don't want the answers to because they can't be explained. And the ending, there's a lot of that in this. So you just basically just forget about it and just take it for what it is. Yeah. The Joker is the Joker. And I think that was part of um, Shigur in No Country for Old Men as well. Is It's essentially a guy walking around with, I can't even remember what we called it, his little like pump that yeah. he just flings through people's heads. And it was just far more real. And that would mm. be what I would put here. And as we're going to get to, it's so rare to see a nuanced female villain that it just takes it a level up and it makes it stand out. Yeah, I can't say enough good things about her in this. When I was looking through the casting what-ifs, whoever you were going to put in there, I, I could not think of anyone else that could do this. Not in the same age range. I think there's other people... A little bit older that you could throw in, but in the in the age range you're looking for, no, it, it, it's it's almost perfect, or as close to perfect as you're going to get. Yeah, and there's a couple of moments we'll we'll get into, but um, yeah, so 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 impressed uh, with this. In fact, someone I would say, Goff, is 
The fact that you are a fan of the film, maybe but speaks don't a like to the rest is... of it, but don't like her is a tough one to kind of piece together. Or yeah. is it you don't dislike her, you just kind of you're looking no, on I, it? No, I think, I think it's just more from, like, Keenan hitting the nail on the head. Like, it's not like I dislike her character or her performance. I think I maybe just had more of a preconceived I get image you. just from, like Keenan said, the, the small things you might do in the book. And that obviously wasn't reflected by Rossman Pike's performance. So to me, I was just like, a mm, bit disappointing. But in the same way, I'm not taking anything away from people who are seeing it, like I said before, like with a fresh pair of eyes. Do you think you could have transformed maybe some of the smaller details onto screen that you had in the book? Because you've got to imagine Gillian Flynn's directing her. Possibly. Um, but again, I think... That's a, that's between her, Gillian Fling and Fincher to, to get that out of her. And if they're happy with, with what she's produced, then I can't really go against them, can I? I think, quote, sorry. I was going to say, to give the same level and to give that level of direction, you, you, it would be, it would be micromanaging it to, like, to within an inch of its life. And I think if you do that, I think, I think eventually if you do that to do it in the exact style of the book, I think you'd probably end up taking away from her performance. And the other, because you'd have to make, you, you're talking about, you were talking about acorns, uh, and David Finch said about acorns. Well, this is, this is probably the perfect example because something that's supposed to be small in the book, when it's, when it is visual and there's so much other stuff, there's everything else that's going on around it in a scene. If it's an appearance, if it's a look, if it's an, a, an expression, you've got to make that big and that's got to then become for, for you to really take it on board. With everything else that's going on in, in, to be fair, almost any given scene in this, you'd have to make her almost over the top to the point that, like you said about the realism of being a villain, she'd almost become a pantom, a pantomime villain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's where it would get lost. Because it doesn't sound like, uh, you're coming from it, goth from a place of, uh, snootiness, like I'll sit, oh, well, I've read the book and the book's never going to compare. And from someone that's not read the book, You've already said it's a very, it's as close of an adaption as probably they could have done. So, uh, it's very interesting. Some of the things Fincher said then, he said, uh, Rosamond's had two things that were of great interest to me. The first was her opacity. I had seen her in three or four movies and I had no real read on her. That's a rare thing for me. I sort of pride myself on being able to pick up on how many arrows an actor has in their quiver and what their mechanism is. If you're in the business of watching people's behavior on TV, which is basically all directing is, you learn to read people very quickly as it relates to the things that they fall back on, the tricks they tend to use. But I didn't have a read on her, and I thought that was interesting. Hmm. Which I guess translates into what she's supposed to be on screen. I was just going to say, it probably translates really well into the character itself, doesn't it? Yeah, he says... Everyone's doing the hero's journey. This is the anti-hero's journey. And he was asked about his casting and to compare it to another casting that he's done in his career. And he said, you can't know her as a character. It's what we talked about when we started casting House of Cards. There are a lot of people saying, so this relationship between Francis and Claire is Bill and Hillary. And I said, it's definitely not. It has to be unfathomable. I wanted Amy to be this put-together creation I needed something from Rosamond that she couldn't play. No matter how much I wanted to be able to talk about this quality, it had to be there at the 18th hour of the day 
when everybody is completely exhausted and you can't beat it out of them with a stick. So feels he's gone a long way around saying she just had it. She just had that unexplainable factor that he wanted in her character. And just in as well that she was actually nominated for Best Actress at the Oscars yeah, for was, it. But, yeah. but what do they know? You know. And there was outrage when she didn't get it. I think um, she's in The Fugitive as well. The woman that uh, wins it. Is it Ju- Julianne Moore? Julianne Moore, yeah. Yeah, she wins it and it was called one of those um, like the Leo and the Revenant where look, we know this isn't that great of a film. We're all going to pretend it is. But You've done some great things in the past, so we owe you one. Mm. One of them. I read Goff as a detail to her character that in the film, she had a mini fridge full of vomit mixed with antifreeze to say that she'd been poisoned by Nick. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Fucked up character. Something that ties in with the departed Keenan. Originally, Nick was supposed to wear a Yankees cap in one scene, but Ben Affleck, yeah. the diehard Red Sox fan, refused to wear it. Production of the film had to be shut down for four days due to Affleck's refusal to follow Fincher's vision. Fincher wouldn't budge and said, when he pictured the scene in his head, he had a Yankees cap on. Um, Would you wear a Spurs kit? Uh, I... Uh, we have to make it relative as well to actually do you have to make it relative is several million still several million when you're when you have so what, it, what you're saying what you're saying is you've got a price I mean to wear one I don't have to support them but I was <laughs> thinking how much would it cost oh. me to put a Spurs hat on in public and I think it would be a big feat because and don't forget it's in a film which millions of people across the world are going to see and it'll be all exactly. over the internet forever I I understand it more here. I think I criticised Nicholson Keenan when we did The Departed because his character was literally based on a real person who would have been wearing that specific hat. In this, it's like, does he really need to wear? I, I, I don't see how you lose four days over it. Maybe they just. Want I don't to see how you lose four days over it. I'll be honest. You ask and twice. If you get two no's, you're like, all right, cool. Let's eventually go. Eventually, they settle on a on a Mets cap. Um, Affleck said to him, "David, I love you. I'd do anything for you, but I would not wear a Yankees hat." i got all the time in the world for this. Fincher, yeah, I respect that. Fincher jokingly describes Affleck's actions of this as entirely unprofessional in the DVD's audio commentary. <laughs> I, I, I got all the, I got a lot of time for it. He gets some heat for this, but I've got all the time in the world yeah. for it. Keenan, quick pop quiz. This is Fincher's third film in the IMDb Top 250 after two films we've already done on this podcast. Seven and... Fight Club? That's not yep. Fincher, is it? It is Fincher, yeah. It is, it is. You're right. Oh, no. I'd, uh, I'd forgotten he did House of Cards. Impressive guy. The, the big Your boy reveal... Spacey once again? Yeah. I, I said yes then, without clocking what you said. <laughs> <laughs> um, the big reveal. Goff, as you are new, do you think you could maybe do a lady's voice and uh, read out the quote? A what, Sorry. A lady's voice. What quote do you want me to say? <laughs> I don't. Really, I, I don't need you to talk about your um, <laughs> wax strip for all pussy. Um, <laughs> if we go through her big reveal, I won't read out the whole thing. We kick in here, and this was a hands-on head moment. I'm so much happier now that I'm dead. And briefly, Keenan, I don't know about you, 
you have the little flash of please don't be a voiceover from beyond yep. the grave because yep. it's the worst thing. And then she says, technically missing, soon to be presumed dead. Gone, and my lazy, lying, shitting, oblivious husband will go to prison for my murder. Nick Dunn took my pride and my dignity and my hope and my money. He took and took from me until I no longer existed. That's murder. Let the punishment fit the crime. And Goff, you must have been feeling quite smug in the cinema as everyone else is now being let in to something that you already knew. Um, but like I said, I think it was so well done that at one point even I was like <laughs> thinking, hang on a minute, this, is, this isn't the way it should go. Smug's, smug's the wrong word, but you get what I mean. The, it's like watching watching a film with someone that's you've already seen and they haven't, and you're building up. Like You see the clips of people playing the Red Wedding to their mates when they're just watching it for the first time. Yeah, I think I, their anguish. I think I was just more glad that it was done so well, to be honest. Like, you know, when sometimes yeah. it, it can come from a book to a film and you think, oh God, what have they done? But yeah. So I wouldn't say smug's the word, I'd just say, I don't know. I, I know, glad. I know they had a lot of discussion about how to really take this to the screen because, unless I'm completely wrong, you're not almost read the book and you're in both of their heads at points. Whereas with this, yeah. they've only, they've just been able to use kind of the voice of her diary. You don't ever hear her thoughts in the moment. It's literally what she's written down and you mm. don't ever hear what Affleck's thinking either as like a conscience. From what I remember from the book, that's actually how it's kind of done. Okay. It's from her diary entry, then it goes over to him, then her diary yes, entry. But we don't get anything only... from him, do we? Exactly, we don't get anything from his his side at all in the film. Um, so, so this plan, uh, befriend a local idiot, harvest the details of her humdrum life and cram her with stories about your husband's violent temper, Secretly create some money troubles, credit cards, perhaps online gambling with the help of the unwitting. Bump up your life insurance and purchase a getaway car. We've got a great quote in that little scene there. What's the laptop for? Laptoping. Laptoping. And I mean, yeah, it is. That's what, that's what I'd answer. <laughs> Fincher has criticised himself because Affleck is playing... Battlefield 3 on the TV, which doesn't come out till a year after where the book is set. <laughs> because I, I saw someone running through the details, and so the shoes that he's wearing in the opening scene, when he goes and takes some details from a shoebox later in the film, it's a matching shoebox for the shoes that he has on at the start, and all these other little details that we would not even think to look for, but for him personally, he has to know that they're right. Yeah. With the board games at the start, he actually commented and said he used his mastermind, isn't it, that he hands over to Margot. And he said he did that literally so he could sit in the premieres and the critic screenings and see them ferociously scribbling the board game down as if it means something, as he sat at the back knowing it just means fuck all to the film. <laughs> and he's just reeled them in to try and make some glib comparison. And he knows that it was just a random selection. Although a Ouija board and the game of life maybe do stack up, but there was some more thought in. But 
he told the story that it's completely random. Mm. You need to package yourself so that people will truly mourn your loss. And America loves pregnant women, as if it's so hard to spread your legs. You know what's hard? Faking a pregnancy. <laughs> She's really unfolding in the space of about 30 seconds. And I don't know if that should be as shocking after she has just admitted to faking her death, but that line does seem particularly callous. Pregnant idiot just feels very strong. I think it's like a it, it's a glimpse of how like, unemotional and callous she actually is, isn't it? It's just it's like letting the obviously the mask is already slipping already, but it's like a glimpse into her actual true character. You don't obviously at that point don't know how how much of a nutcase she is. <laughs> but it's just like a, a small reveal of of like her true self. Steal pregnant idiots urine, voila, a pregnancy is now part of your legal medical record. Happy anniversary. Wait for your clueless husband to start his day, off he goes, and the clock is ticking. Meticulously stage your crime scene with just enough mistakes to raise the spectre of doubt. Her here, and we just take we just go through how mental she is when we see her siphoning blood from her arm in preparation for this as she writes her diary entries and a nice little detail is she does have a collection of different coloured pens next to her while she does this. Minimum 300 entries, the Nick and Amy story. Uh, well, actually, before that, she even takes shots at his cleaning. I'm all of that as if he's not going through enough. Uh, spending the abuse, the fear, the threat of violence, and Nick thought he was the writer. Burn it just to write him out, make sure the cops will find it. And then, uh, and if I get everything right, the world will hate Nick for killing his beautiful pregnant wife. And after all the outrage, uh, when I'm ready, I'll go out on the water with a handful of pills and a pocket full of stones. And when they find my body, they'll know. Nick Dunn dumped his beloved like garbage and she floated past all the other abused, unwanted, inconvenient women. Then Nick will die too. And then we have her little uh, cool girl segment. Nick loved a girl, the girl of pretending to be a cool girl. Men always use that as their defining compliment. Cool girl is hot game. Cool girl is fun. Never gets angry at her man. She only smiles in a chagrined, loving manner and then prevent, presents her mouth for fucking. If he likes girls gone wild, she's a mole babe who talks for football and enjoys buffalo wings at Hooters. When I met Nick Dunn, I knew he wanted a cool girl and for him I'll admit I was willing to try I wax-stripped my pussy raw. I drank canned beer watching Adam Sandler movies. I ate cold peaks from Remainder Size 2. I blew him semi-regularly. I lived in the moment. Nick, the funny thing is, that that period, that's exactly what... <laughs> great, thing, great thing going on. Is she not just describing as, as well exactly what you'd think Emily Ratajkowski's character would be? I think she likes the Sandler movie. <laughs> is it... Cautious where we're going here. Um, how much of this are you projecting onto M. Ratajkowski? The canned beer, the wax strips, cold pizza. <laughs> Keep going. Two. <laughs> <laughs> and if there's one thing you know about M. Ratajkowski, she'll blow your semi regularly. I, d I don't want you to lose your feminist fans on my no, first appearance, no. Byron. <laughs> well, I'm just quoting the film. 
uh, <laughs> quoted worse with Casino, unfortunately. Um, we were happy pretending to be other people. We were the happiest couple we knew. And what's the point of being together if you're not the happiest? Nick got lazy, became someone I did not agree to marry. He actually expected me to love him unconditionally. And then he dragged me penniless to the navel of this great country and found himself a newer, younger, bouncier, cool girl. You think I'd let him destroy me and end up happier than ever? No fucking way. He doesn't get to win. Again, I feel like he still would have lost if you just ruined him financially and, and fucked off. Like, just chill your beans. Don't have to do all this. I thought with this, this whole cool girl discussion is usually just parodies with someone farting in front of their significant other for the first time and just dropping their guard as not being this perfect person. She's just taking this to the most extreme of levels. He actually expected me to love him unconditionally. And this is, this is a genuine question here. For all that Nick does wrong, and he does cheat on her, let's not Let's not overlook that, even if it is Rem Ratajkowski. What is she offering for him in this scenario? Because it is a two-way street. Yeah, that's a fair enough. I think from her point of view, is her moving back to his hometown should be enough for him. Yeah. But, yeah, the whole line of her saying he actually expected me to love him unconditionally, <laughs> it's just like... <laughs> And oh, you're married. In one line, we see her ultimate motivation is uh, he doesn't get to win. And that's really the driving force for it. Yes. Um, Gillian Flynn, when asked about this, she got a lot, a lot of criticism after this book came out and when the book comes out. She's accused of being misogynistic since the villains of her three novels, Gone Girl, Sharp Objects and Dark Places, have all been female. She says, to me, that puts a very small window on what feminism is. Is it really only girl power and you go girl and empower yourself and be the best you can be? For me, it's also the ability to have women who are bad characters. The one thing that really frustrates me is this idea that women are innately good, innately nurturing. In literature, they can be dismissively bad, trampy, vampy, bitchy types, but there's still a big pushback against the idea that women can just be pragmatically evil, bad and selfish. I don't write psycho bitches. The psycho bitch is just crazy. She has no motive, and so she's a dismissible person because of her psycho bitchiness. She says that the book is not a particularly flattering portrait of women, but that's fine by me. It's time to acknowledge the ugly side. I've grown quite weary of the spunky heroines, brave rape victims, and soul-searching fashionistas that stock so many books. I particularly mourn the lack of female villains. Fair point. If feminism, if, if feminism is that women are equally or can be as equally good as men, then on the flip side, they can be equally as bad. Yeah, and so what she does mm-hmm. is just create like the greatest female villain <laughs> we've seen. Yeah, um, I mean, it's a phenomenal villain, like you said, regardless of gender, it's ridiculously yeah. good. That, I mean, her point about for the large majority of cinema about female characters is, is pretty is on the money right yep that they are all these different things and they are pigeon at all dismiss dismissible one thing Amy Dunn is not is dismissible um but I think and that is that's sheerly down to the calculation because 
it, she doesn't only create one female character in this. In fact, I think the character of Margot is quite understated in comparison to uh, the detective and in comparison mm. to uh, Amy. But she's she's just as crucial as anyone in that she's essentially in here to show a level of humanity to Nick in that for as far as he veers away and no matter what we think of him, she's essentially there to tell us, honestly, he's not that bad. He's not that bad. And they have this relationship going the whole way through. And she spoke in an interview after and she says that a lot was made of a small comment and she said that ultimately her character was there just to pull faces and David Fincher did clarify that's not the case at all and that was a big part of her role but it was so much more important than that and so there's a lot more to it than just she created one horrible female character so she must be a misogynist yeah but it's it's horrible to an end no, we'd say to level her just being outrightly for like for no reason like just just being evil or just being horrible for no end. Fine, I could understand the misogynistic um, angle. There is calculation and point and reason and method to everything that happens, regardless of yeah. what you agree, whether you agree with it or not. But every step that's taken by the character in the film is meth- is methodical. Is calculated, and to be honest, some of it is just outright fucking brilliant. We aren't ever asked to explain why we have a horrible male character, are we? And so that's probably the point she's getting at. Is that I think yeah. so? Yeah, you we you take these. for the first ninety, even after some of it. I mean, as it starts to turn for the first ninety minutes, ninety to a hundred minutes, you sort of take it as read that he's just a bastard. Yeah. You go, oh, okay. Yeah. I I, I see. What, I see who he is now. Yeah. Um. Couple of things in when Tanner Bolt comes in, we Nick goes to New York to hire him. Nick then meets Amy's ex boyfriend, Tommy O'Hara, which is when it starts unraveling even more that she's done this before. And then he does get arrested and we see uh the lawyer put to work and uh gets things sorted. I wanted a special mention for the cat in this film. Great movie cat. <laughs> alongside the cat in the hat Puss in Boots Mr. Bigglesworth Rostin Powers Vito's cat in The Godfather the cat is essentially there to just show a level of humanity in Nick that Amy doesn't possess there's never a moment where she even acknowledges the cat Nick strokes it I think every time he enters the room he at least acknowledges it he feeds it and I think that's something intentionally done to just say hang on a minute because as we say Keenan they usually will include like a dog mm-hmm. to add some humanity to a character, and this is just a bit more understated. Yeah, that's um, correct. There's even a moment in this where his sister's storming out. She stops to stroke the cat on the way out. The lead detective strokes the cat while the other officer does not. Maybe we're reading too much into it, but I do think that the cat is definitely there for a reason. And uh, as we've referenced, David Fincher, you, you, you grow to uh, question everything you see and point so that it is there for a reason yeah some of Nick's comments had me cracking up throughout the film the the one in particular the one in particular that I don't even think is meant to be funny is when he says 
this is identity theft. This is a felony. We need to find out who did this. I <laughs> uh, don't know if he could have acted it any differently, but <laughs> just the way he says it and the look that he's getting in return is just perfect. And then we do get his uh, kind of a convenient note to end the diary on, don't you think? And uh, if she was restrained, how did she get her hands on a box cutter? Which is a, a fair point. Um, uh, I wanted your thoughts, Keenan, on the choice not to show the TV interview. Because it's built up, we get the looks and you get the comparison of how every woman looks at him in the room. And then... We go the like Goodfellas or Reservoir Dogs st- style with the edit, in that you just cut to the car and you hear how great it was. Mm. Do you want to see it? Uh, yeah, you don't. I mean, you don't need to. It's um... this is a serious, genuine question. I don't. No, I think we get enough. I don't rewatching it last night. I didn't miss it. No, I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was well done. Yeah, so so do I. Um... I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't experience. I'm not sure how much more it adds. No. Um, it's like a Goodfellas being a good point. It's like a, a lot. A lot was made over the fact that you don't see the Lufthansa heist. You skip to Henry in the shower celebrating and hearing about it on the radio. And I think I, I've always thought that that was the better way to do it in that instance. Yeah, yeah, much better. And we always said it would turn into a heist film if mm. they did do it differently. Um, I have something else. So, with this, and we've spoken about it with other films again, I've said that a few times, it's quite refreshing that this film isn't afraid to be off-putting at certain moments. It doesn't hold back with how rough the material can be because a film either where a woman is kidnapped shouldn't be pleasant or a film where a woman is going to such great lengths to frame her husband you shouldn't be cutting away when she's siphoning the blood from her arm. You shouldn't be doing any of these things. And to be as brutal as upfront as it is, I do think adds something to the film because we don't need a watered down version of this film. I think that it would have to be a whodunit. Still there? Keenan? Yeah, sorry. I just had to move, so I put my phone on charge. Say that again for me. Um, I thought it was good that they didn't water this film down at all. It was as off-putting as it needed to be. Yes, I agree. I don't. I think it has to get the full... Realisation probably the wrong word. To, to get the full range of emotion that you should feel during this film, I think it has to be very much in your face. Um Fincher said it's an exploration of modern media and the trial by television, the commodification of sex and marriage, the way we're driven by fear and desire to pretend. The He's notion, basically keeping up with the Joneses, mate, for half of it. He said the notion that we project the best version of ourselves, not only to seduce somebody that we imagine to be perfect for us, but also perfect for our narcissistic rejection. And three years down the line, the other person in the contract says, I can't get it up for this anymore. I can't be your soulmate. I was never that person. I'm done. And I love the wrath that inspired. It's funny. The thing that where you look at your wife or girlfriend and you see them holding their tongue and then for five years 
and then after five years, they unleash all of their retribution. I just thought that was funny. Yeah, it's true though, isn't it? When you first start like seeing someone or whatever you first meet, you do kind of, well, a lot of people do put a different version of themselves or at least play up to different things. You're conscious of what not to say. Yeah, exactly. And then say yes yeah. to salsa, mate. So you always end up doing ridiculous shit. <laughs> Sounds like, like it sounds like you've done that before, Keenan. If yeah. Keenan was on a date and they said, have you seen Piranha? He'd go, yes. He'd assume that's the right thing to say. And he'd get a second date out of that. So the worst thing is, I would say no. And I would say no and probably say it with such disdain that there is no second date. <laughs> yes, and uh, what did you think of Kelly Brooks' performance? <laughs> um, the media is is a big part of this. And a press conference after a day was wild, I thought. <laughs> she may have just gone for a walk and just happened to find a smash table. But Missy Pyle was great as um, Ellen Abbott. She also played a teacher in Two and a Half Men as a little callback there. But her is playing the uh, TV talk show host that really has a real lack of information, but just twists the narrative into what the public want to hear and get outraged by. I thought in the small parts that she had, I thought she was brilliant in the job she was doing. Yeah, what else has she been in other than Two and a Half Men? Oh, you're going to make me go on her IMDb. And I've looked earlier and thought, okay, I don't need to make a point of writing down her IMDb. Sorry. It's just, you know, when you watch you watch someone, you're like, you can't think away what film you've seen them in before. But I know what it is. It's um, Charlie, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. She done, she was uh, Francesca in Dodgeball. She was in okay. Galaxy Quest with MPH. Yep, she was Violet's mum in uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. Sorry, just uh, completely derailed it there. But yeah, that's what I, what's bugging me when I was watching it. I think she was in the latest Jumanji, maybe. Um, yeah, she's very good in this. And the way they do kind of drive this along is is very good. When she sees him at the end and just tries to be nice and he says, like, <laughs> you literally accused me <laughs> of having a relationship with my sister. Like, you literally said I killed my wife. And she's like, oh, well, you know. <laughs> All fair in love and war, mate. Just doing her job. Yeah, does what she's got to do. Um, when... He mentions the uh, woodshed in the interview. This is where the story then turns again. He's back to Big City Nick, the one that she says she fell in love with, the guy that's confident, charming. And in line with the fact that she is now being kept prisoner by uh, Desi, I keep wanting to say NPH, the film just goes up a notch again to where we were probably wouldn't have been able to see it doing so. You've missed that. You missed out the part where uh, she gets she's in the motel and then um, gets robbed, which is why she ends up with Desi. Yeah, yeah. Um, that guy, the guy there as well, has been in a couple of things. He played uh, the villain in Run All Night. Mm-hmm. He's in Logan. Yep. So yeah, that. That whole sequence is interesting. We use the media again, don't we, with her going on the internet 
her watching the talk show host and really seeing that things have played out as she expected. And she's not bad at mini golf. <laughs> Just a poorly timed celebration. Yeah. She had a mare there, hasn't she? Yeah. The NPH death. He was asked about this and he says, on hot ones actually, I don't know if either of you ever watched those. I do. Shabby's in his. Yeah, they are. I watched his the whole way through because I wanted to hear him ask about Harold and Kumar and then he wasn't Mm -hmm. asked once. I was fuming. He says, that was intentionally broken down by David Fincher for me for this very reason. Because it was something you can't really rehearse too much because we would film everything right up to the wet work, as he called it. But then once it happens, he really wanted to make sure it felt real and you don't really know. You can't really pull from resources about what you'd look like when your throat slit. David imagined that with a sharp knife getting your throat slit, you wouldn't feel any pain. So we would make me show him what it would look like because it was mid-orgasm. <laughs> it was also mid-orgasm. Mm. said, I'm about to, and then mimicked it. Uh, this is very gruesome, intentionally gruesome feeling of like calm or confusion of why is everything warm and why is it red? And then before you know it, you start blacking out because of all the blood that's going to your brain. Uh, all the blood that was going to your brain is now coming out of your neck. It was super technical. The build-up to this, I think it's as good as any sequence in the film. When you see her on the spot start to put together her latest plan. With the biting his biting his lip, untucking his trousers, and just seeing the use of the security camera. Mm-hmm. It's very well done, Um Keenan, you mentioned to me how grim you found the wine bottle last night. No, I can't be the only one, surely. No, no, I just hadn't mentioned it yet, so I was bringing you in. Yeah, the whole sequence shows us again. She is a psychopath. Sociopath, maybe. And uh, it maybe shows more about her character because I'm not going to say anyone with eight weeks or however long she had to plan this with Nick could work it out. You certainly stand a better shot with more time. Yeah. What does she have? Is it 29 days? I think is it 29 or 20 days before she commits the, her latest atrocity. Yeah. And so to put all this together, because she doesn't spend 20 days doing it, no. does show a lot about her character. The, the the music they use in this scene with it just this pounding in your ears is so well done and just adds another level to it. Do you agree? She's trying to think what it was, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with it's you now. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm with you now. Sorry, I couldn't place it for a second. I, I couldn't. I, I was just thinking the same. I couldn't even place... The actual music, I think, because you're so drawn in by what you're actually seeing. Yeah, I don't even yeah, think I like registered what music was playing. Because yeah. I think, Byron, you texted me last night. I was like, what soundtrack? And then I had to look back at him like, oh, yeah, shit. You see her get the box cutter. And I, I don't know about you, what we've seen of her character, she doesn't like men, when that's for sure. I thought she was going to chop his dick off. <laughs> Little box cutter, that's fucking brutal, man. <laughs> it is, but I thought that would tie in with her character. And then 
I mean, I don't know if he gets off better or worse, but I'm going to say he gets off better. He may still be. You know, I think she's finished him off, isn't she? So yeah. If you offer me, if you if if you offer me, look, you can go in one of these two ways. Go up top. He has one last nut before he goes as well. Well, he doesn't get to fifty. He's he's mid midway through, mate. Surely there's no better way to go. <laughs> um, I can think of a few. <laughs> so you're offering goth now in your sleep or <laughs> in Gone Girls. <laughs> or someone's rising you and then your throat's cut. I mean, Look, yeah. I've, I've had a good life. It is what it is. Well, if goth, who's your time? Who's your time, son? Who's your time? Who's your time? Rosalind um, spoke about this and she said she's sure she's not the only one, but she just finds sex scenes to be as awkward as they could possibly be and she said Neil felt the same way but Fincher being as he was made him shoot it 72 times <laughs> he told them to rehearse for two hours without the cameras before so everything was already choreographed before they yeah. started and so she said you've just got this weird scenario of me just dry humping Neil Patrick Harris with no cameras around asking if we're doing this right and this right and then we'll do this. And she said it, it just wasn't fun for anyone involved, but obviously the final take they get was worth it. I mean, I sort of think this is just as a gen- as an out of comparison, going away and saying, look, you two, you two figure this out. Like you put you like I trust your abilities. Figure this out. We'll we'll shoot it. Is that is that not better than having to do thirty two takes in front of full fucking in front of a full crew? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it is. I'm, I don't know if the two hours was an exaggeration or if she was literally just driving yeah, 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 yeah. Two, two driving. But it, I'm sure. I'm sure. Sorry, to, I'm sure the book is actually different as well. And this was one of the examples where they made it better. So the book, what I read was they do it in the way they do the TV interview in this film, in that they don't tell you of it happening. Um, She is starting to give him sleeping pills. I see, yeah, she drugs him. And then she says something like, um, by the time they find him, his sheet's covered in blood, etc., etc., etc. Um. And so, yeah, they, uh, they're good fellas it and they don't give you the gratification of hearing what happened. Um, instead, they just gloss over it like it's just another day in the life of Amy. But I think the way they've done it in the film is a hundred percent better. There's no, lot more visceral, isn't it? yeah, gonna, gonna let it's, you get by yeah. with not seeing it. Last things on this film questions. Um, Keenan. Mm. Did Amy go into Desi's house with the knowledge of what she was going to do, or did she then realise that she'd become the prisoner when he took the iPad off her and turned the TV off, and she schemed from there? I always, from the moment she's been robbed and gets forced into it, or she's sort of has to turn towards him, I think that was always on the cards. What do you think, Goff? See, I think differently. I think it's the realization when she's in there, like you said, takes the iPad off her. He takes, oh, what is it? She's eating something like ice cream or something. He yes, takes yeah, that off yeah. her as well. She has two tubs of ice cream in this. Yeah. Scene. And it's, it's just like the, 
the little subtle things like that where he just takes it away from her. She obviously notices the cameras as well and realizes, fuck, I've got to think on my feet here. He, um, he I don't think her, she intended it before. He buys her a, uh, like a bag, doesn't he? And, and he says it's full of things to basically make herself up and get back to looking how she was, which depending on how you say it could be a nice gesture that you've been kidnapped. So you're not feeling yourself or it could be. I want you to look how like how I want how you to I look. Would, yeah. yeah. And I the way I interpreted it was I don't think he was ever gonna make it out of that situation alive because she had had to get away from him before. But I think this was the best of a bad situation. She needed a safe haven until she could work out what to do next. She sees Nick she sees that Nick is uh in on the scheme with her. He's unraveled her plan and she changes the game plan she I think she quite likes that she's found an equal almost and just the way that he begins to react she needs to get out of there before it gets out of hand and so uh, she preys on the feelings he has for her yeah no, I 100% agree on that one he'd ultimately regret it um The ending, there's two camps of people. Maybe there's more. Um, some came out of this feeling wholly unsatisfied, which is always the case when your grand villain doesn't get their comeuppance. And there were some, and me and Keenan spoke about this with Sicario, we spoke about it with other films, about sometimes you just need to let the ending sit with you for a little bit, and then you can appreciate why they've done it. And it did take me a bit of time after leaving the cinema but I think it's perfect I think there's no better way of uh, really driving home just how villainous your villain was by the fact that they don't lose the villain doesn't always have to doesn't always have to lose and in this case we come out of it and she's even more terrified than she was going in she's got him hostage for at least another 18 years you realize there literally is no escape yeah the cop says that she's off the case because the feds took over and she'll be risking her career if she even tries to question Amy. Um, she's a hugely popular celebrity by this point. Tyler Perry isn't going to do anything free and he's a defence attorney and there's now nothing to defend anymore as Nick was off the hook. And Nick is too scared because of the kid. Mm. He gets his short moment where he does actually shove her for the first time. But ultimately, it's because he's helpless. He knows there's nothing he can do. He's building himself up. And maybe you can answer, God, why does it take so long to maybe build up? Is it just the public perception he can't walk out too soon? And so he thinks yeah. that the time's passed. There's that. And again, I'll stop talking about the book, but the no, book no. goes, the book's a bit more, it's easier to do it on paper, I suppose, than in the film, where the book describes a bit more, not only is he trying to convince the reader, that he's basically playing her at her own game and will eventually lead her, uh, leave her. Sorry, It's almost like you get a sense that he's just trying to convince himself as well. And you can tell he's slowly losing that game. But he's still going on and on like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll do this, I'll do that. And yeah, that, that I, comes across a lot more in the book than it does on the film. Am I right in saying that she was he was going to announce that they were going to get divorced in the TV interview? He tells her that before and then she says... I'm pregnant. That she's pregnant, basically. Yeah. So she basically, he thinks he's playing her at her own game and not realising that he's always going to lose. 
And there's a point, isn't there, where she says, you know, you can sleep in the bed as well. And you think, just sleep in the bed while you're doing this. And then you, okay, actually, no, I do remember exactly what happened about <laughs> 15 minutes ago. Keenan, where do you stand on the ending? Do you like it or dislike it? Um, I, to be honest, mate, I don't, I, I don't, I don't mind it. I think it's, I don't know what ending, I'm not sure what ending they'd have to give me after everything else that's come before it for me to go, yeah, really good ending though. If, if. It was always going to be, because the story was going to stop, it was always going to be a bit of a, bit of a come down. If Nick, behind the scenes, he asks them to check the weapon again that was found in the apartment. He asks them to check a load of things and they find out, look, none of this happened. Um, she staged this herself and they can prove it. It ends with her being carried out into a police car and Nick can now live the life that he wants to live. Do you think? I'd be more, I'd be disappointed. Yeah, I think that would be short-term gratification for the first-time viewer in that wants to see her comeuppance. I, see, I, I think, think I think villainy of that order, you don't need a comeuppance. Sometimes, sometimes bad shit happens. I think the the baby would stop him doing that anyway because he wouldn't want. No. Do you want to raise a kid be... on his own? Well, well, even, even her being yeah, even her being pregnant in prison, for example, like he, I just don't think he'd want any any of that. I think up to the point where he's going to announce he's leaving her, he's literally just waiting for it to die down, and it just doesn't die down as quick as <laughs> as he expects it to. And that's when obviously she twists the knife in and and like yeah. plays the game to a higher level. And at that at that point, it's just like, well, I'm fucked here. Um, Keenan's mentioned Ratajkowski a few times. In this, do you remember one of the big controversies or selling points or whatever coming into the film? No. Uh, ben Affleck showing side dick. <laughs> okay. That was that was a big thing in all the tabloids and in all the Twitter and all of this. So much so that Reese Witherspoon, we're mentioning her again, got in trouble. She was on one of those um, like round table shows. Yeah. And she did a little round of applause and said, look, well done to him. Fair, fair play. He's uh, got it going on, basically. <laughs> yeah, mm. Having a conversation, admiring Ben Affleck's member. And <laughs> someone pointed out, imagine this was Ben Affleck sat around a table talking about your cheeks and how everyone here would be saying, what a disgrace this is. <laughs> and you shouldn't be doing this. Uh, she apologised, but I think it was one of them. I'm sure. Yeah, he you ask sure her like, "Oh, I'm sorry," and then you move on. Yeah. Ben Affleck seems quite a shy guy, but how angry is he going to be? Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, what? Fair play. Fair play. I'm sure he wasn't too upset. Anything else to add on Gone Girl before we? Uh, Move on. I realise how long we've taken here. I'm not sure we'll spend this long on uh, the big shorts. No, I'm good to go. No, we're All good right. to go, mate. Let's move on. The big banks. Ripping off working people. How can they let this happen? It's fueled by stupidity. But that's not stupidity, that's fraud. Tell me the difference between stupid and illegal, and I'll have my wife's brother arrested. <laughs> we have to act now. We're going to make the big banks hurt. I'm sorry, are you for real? Yes! 
I'm sure the banks have more incentives than greed. You're wrong. The Big Short. Kind of brilliant. Rated R. In 2006-2007, a group of investors bet against the US mortgage market. In their research, they discover how flawed and corrupt the market is. We so often speak about these synopsis, Keenan. That's about as poor, as bad a sell as as I can remember. But I mean, it is spot on the money. That's exactly what this film is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When... Like, don't, like, before I'm going to press, we'll talk about it more, but my opening statement would be, what actually happens in this film? I can't believe that this film... It's a true story. That's the thing. That's that's the Mm. selling point. For for the masses, because this did pretty well, I can't. I struggle Very to comprehend how as many people like this film as as do. Because on I, the surface, people should have been walking out of this going, "What the fuck?" I was sat there putting this on last night, and the first thing I thought was, "Me and Keita must have been feeling pretty clever when we picked this to be in a crime bracket." Um, I think we must have been feeling slick at the time, sneaking this one in as uh, some kind of message here. I don't think we were. I feel like you picked it off a list, and I was like, yeah, I like that. There we go. You've uh, shown people behind the curtain. Um, There's no point. We, we don't need to aggrandise ourselves. We spend two hours a week I, <laughs> doing I probably, the opposite. I probably was feeling quite slick and was trying to bring you down with me. Oh, okay. Right. What I mentioned at today, one. and I said, oh, I fell asleep watching the film last night, blah, blah. I feel like I've just disrespected the film before we started. Not a good start. Yeah, but it's not exactly, I think if you go into it knowing that it's a film which is, yeah, it's, I'd it's, seen it's, it before. Yeah, it's a film which you're going to have to concentrate on. Then, it's not a late night before you go yeah. to bed film. I was like, asked, oh, what, what's the film? I said, well, it's, it's about, um, like the, the, the housing market crash in America and I think I said 2008 uh, oh yeah it doesn't sound too exciting <laughs> and then I found myself trying to sell the film which wasn't going very well but it basically just said it's by uh, the same writer that did Moneyball and that swung things around a bit same question as always Keenan what do you think the critics had to say about this 7 out of 10 trying to keep up with all the fast market talk and financial blather wore me down and there's so much emphasis on it that the movie comes off as overstuffed and missing the human element, which would have given it a more powerful punch. Though presented as a jet black, indeed a cold-hearted satire, it's concerned with reminding American audiences in particular just how close they came to economic Armageddon. Subtle it's not, but the, direct, but the director's use of pop culture images and music to set the scene goes a long way to establish a time, place, and tone. It manages to illuminate how the economic failure occurred with scathing wit and highly stylized editing that keeps you on your toes. Finally, smart, funny, scary, ingeniously populated, and a rollicking good time, the big short was such a left-field bolt from the blue and an enormously entertaining few hours in the cinema. My first question, and I'll ask you this, Goff. Are we supposed to understand this film? Mm. That's a good question. I think we are to an extent. I think it's it's designed to explain to to like the masses a very very complicated subject. 
we all kind of know the we don't well we all kind of know what happened roughly in oh seven oh eight but do the mass of do the masses of people know exactly the ins and outs no and I think it does a good job of of trying to break down very complicated subjects and getting that across i I quite like you'll probably go into all the like the cut scenes of where they bring certain people in to they break the fourth wall and I think things like that I think are what make this this film a good film it It reminded me a lot of Russell Brand's talking in about two thousand and thirteen where he would say enough words that you understood and then the rest would be purposely obtuse in just trying to sound clever, basically. And I don't think this film's trying to sound clever, by the way. But I think in the same way, it gives us enough little bits that we understand because we aren't supposed to come out of it being an expert on mortgage bonds and finance and all of this. I think, I think it, it feeds you enough nuggets to kind of know to exactly what, yeah, to follow along with what's happened. I wrote down at, uh, 12 minutes past 12 last night, this is like an adult chicken little. With these guys just telling everyone that the system is about to collapse and, and funnily enough, they, they, they do actually mention chicken little in the film. Do they? Ryan Gosling says that one of his nicknames at uh, the bank he works at is Chicken Little. Oh, and you just ruined my what I thought was quite a clever point there. So, oh, sorry. <laughs> Let's go back to the trivia, the making of the movie. So, Michael Lewis, and this this will explain a lot, Keenan. Author Michael Lewis reveals in an interview that Paramount Pictures allowed director and screenwriter Adam McKay to make this film only if he agreed to make a sequel to Anchorman. Okay, I get that. Does this, now, does this now explain a lot more about Anchorman 2? <laughs> uh, yeah, it does. Yeah, you're right. It does explain a lot. It's, it's, it's almost the Scorsese thing. I mean, it's one it's one one for us, one for you. Because it's one of the most forgettable big-budget comedies I've ever seen. Literally, all I remember from Anchorman 2 is the scene with the uh, RV or caravan or whatever flipping over a few times. And Will Ferrell screaming, I'm blind. I'm blind. Exactly that. I just Do you know, that surely you remember screen. the dinner. You're, I'm not going to start doing some quotes, but surely you remember the dinner scene. Uh, no, I don't. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to start quoting it, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Christian Bale met with the man he's portraying in the film, Michael Burry, to research the role. He says what was supposed to be an hour meeting turned into nine hours. I watched an interview with Christian Bale yesterday and he would always be in the bracket of actors that I would consider to seem unapproachable. He seems a far more friendly, open guy than I perhaps thought he was a few years ago and I don't know if... Do you know what still confuses me to this day? Go on. That he's from Yorkshire. Yeah. <laughs> it, it amazes me every time I think, like, it, I forget about it, and then it comes, somehow comes up, it somehow creeps up, and I it, can't, I, I can't reconcile it in my head. It's in my head, it's just American. It stunned me out how posh Rosamund Pike sounded, and perhaps her name should have told me a bit more. Yeah. Before I watched an interview with her literally right before we um, recorded. 
I think she, yeah, she's from money as well, I think. Yeah, she, yeah. I said to TK recently that I cringed while I was doing the research for King Arthur when I was watching interviews with Kira Knightley. Yeah. And Rosamund Pike sounds less like she's hamming it up. Like, there's one for Kira Knightley and she's telling a story about, oh, you know, I was asking my parents for an agent when I was eight years old. So, Please just stop. <laughs> it doesn't feel like that with Rosamund Pike, but yeah, that accent is, uh, it's impressive that she manages to hide that. Adam McKay encouraged his cast to, to improvise where possible. We've got past the improvisation watch with you on a Thursday, Keenan. We don't need any more, mate. We used to have that, didn't we? Season one. Yeah. Christian Bale took two weeks to learn to play the drums sufficiently enough to play the intro to the song by Demons Be Driven by Pantera. And again, this ties in with what we've said before. I'm not sure we call this dedication in the same way we call this a rich person having a lot of time on their hands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the goat one of those is still the kid from Bad Santa being told to put on £20 before they started filming. What a life. I'd be more impressed if you came to me and told me that you'd spent two weeks learning the drums and could play the intro to the song. I mean, I feel like I can play them when I'm like slapping my thighs while listening to a song, but the actual drums, I don't have the coordination for that. No, it would take far more than two weeks. Yeah, I get that. Although long-standing friends, Adam McKay wasn't seriously considering Steve Carell for a role in the film until he saw his performance in Foxcatcher. Did you ever watch that? No, i never seen no. it. Very impressive. Um, and he's very impressive in this Steve Carell. I'm jumping ahead a bit, but looks like he could have been a dramatic actor his whole life. He probably could have been. It's just... He found it happens to be incredibly funny. Exactly. That's just what he found success in. But I, without going too far ahead, I, I love Steve Carell in this film. Yeah, he's brilliant. He's re- really good. Um, Jeffrey Griffin was an extra on set for the day. He was pulled out of a crowd to play Jared Burnett's assistant, Chris. Later, his role ends up being expanded to two weeks of filming, sharing every scene with Ryan Gosling. That's class. you got to love that. What's that smell? Opportunity. <laughs> did um did anything? Has, I mean, has he got a career now? Uh, <laughs> as soon as I started saying that, I <laughs> knew again that was they're going to be the next thing asked. Oh, um, Jeffrey Griffin. It's not a house. He's not a household name, is he? No, he's um after the big short. He's done nothing that. I recognise a, a short, uh, two short films. One called The Cask, one called Headless Swans. A film called The Devil's Hitching Post in 2019 that doesn't hasn't been rated enough times to have a rating on IMDb. Yeah, since a lot. And two upcoming projects: one called Pistol Pete and one called Beauty for Ashes. The I wonder Oklahoma if Pistol Pete. I wonder if Pistol Pete is about Pistol Pete Maravich. Basketball player. Yeah. It is, yes. Yeah, oh, nice. Nice. He's playing Randy Drood. Yeah, you, 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 I think you, I think you, if it's a good film, you'll like that. Interesting it's character. Not, not big budget. No, interesting character. I've heard the name no. before, actually, but could tell you nothing else. Yeah, real interesting guy. 
this film marked the second collaboration between Ryan Gosling, Marisa Tomei, and Steve Carell. Crazy Stupid Love is the first one, Keenan. I've recommended it to you previously. You have. I'm still yet to watch it, would you believe? Well, next bracket, as we said. Yeah. Rom-com time. Go, baby. <laughs> Conan O'Brien was once considered for the role of Ben Rickett, put through a rigorous audition process, and then Brad Pitt stepped in and said, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> Some way of fucking upstage. <laughs> it's just getting deleted. In the original script, the celebrity, the celebrity cameos were different. Instead of Margot Robbie explaining MBS and Shorting in a bubble bath, it was scripted as Scarlett Johansson standing under a waterfall. Both worked, to be fair. Instead of Selena Gomez explaining synthetic CDOs, it was to be Beyonce with the assistance of her husband Jay-Z. Jay-Z was going to end the segment saying losing the bet was a hard knock life. <laughs> nice. I guess Bourdain was always going to be Bourdain. Yeah. Margot Robbie claimed that she was drinking real 20-year-old Dom Perignon champagne during her scene in the bathtub, adding that the only challenge was that she did have to read her lines from memory. Okay. I've seen an interview clip with her before saying it was the best day on set I've ever had. So she's had to remember the lines about mortgage bonds from yeah. memory. Jesus. Whilst drinking champagne. Yeah, she said, they essentially asked me to sit in this bath with a full face of makeup and look good while talking about, <laughs> talking about mortgages. And she didn't say how much she got paid, but I'm sure it was worth it. I think it would, it would have taken like a day's work or whatever. Yeah. Probably all wrinkled up by the end of it. This, as we said, second film, Michael Lewis, uh, Ryan Gosling's first appearance in a film after announcing his break from acting in March 2013. His last film before was Only God Forgives, which I referenced to you before, Keenan. Is that the one you hate? Uh, yeah, it's the one where I was sat at McDonald's pre-film, looked at the IMDb to see how long it was, and I saw a piece of trivia that said he had like 17 lines in the film. And I thought, for fuck's sake. <laughs> and a review saying every, every shot was held but just over and uncomfortably, just just long enough to make it feel uncomfortable. And I thought this is going to be a long hour 40, whatever it was. So the understanding of the film, did having Margot Robbie, Anthony Bourdain and Selena Gomez explain it help? Or there are some of reviews that say, you're probably going to make me make it difficult for me to concentrate on anything you're saying if you do have a beautiful Marco Robbie in a bathtub explaining the situation. I think that's the whole point, though, isn't it? It's there to draw your attention. They're Maybe she could have been saying anything. I was going to say, out, out of the three, Margot Robbie probably is the biggest distraction for obvious reasons. So you might not be paying attention to what she says. The other two, I thought though, like were, were spot on with the with uh, Anthony Bourdain with the um, metaphor with the unsold fish turning it into stew, and then the other one with Selena Gomez with the blackjack explaining side bets and then become another side bet. I thought that I thought was, they did I a good job. I thought that was the best one, the uh, Selena Gomez one. Yeah, I thought <laughs> in terms of the explanation, that was the one that made the most sense to me with how she was explaining it. I thought it was very good. 
I like I like the fish stew one though. Just basically saying all the shit bits he hasn't sold. He'll put it into a stew, repackage it as something else, and, and there you go, sell it as that. Did you watch this in the cinema? No, I, I can't remember the first time I aware the first time was I watched it. It was it was when it first came out, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't in the cinema. I remember this got a big pop in the cinema when they did the. To explain this better, here's Margot Robbie in a bathtub. And I saw I saw this in the cinema. Went down well, didn't it? Yeah. Um, I also had, strangely, I mean, make of this what you will, considering that these are two adaptations of books. I read I read this. Easy um, read? The Big Short. Yeah. Yeah, I read this. Um, Feels like a tough read, it would be. Oh, it's, it's phenomenal. It's a little bit like Freakonomics, but just centralised rather than to pop culture. Pop culture economics, it's centralised to one, to, to a singular point. Um, and it might be that I have had the additional benefit of reading the book, but it's not, it's not a particularly complicated subject. Like, I also have, I also, within saying that, to predict it, I, is, an intelligence and an understanding yeah, of yeah, things yeah. that is that is well beyond. You could give me a hundred lifetimes, and I couldn't reach. But well, there's a bit at the end of the film, isn't there, where it says he offered to speak to the government and explain, yeah, how and they ignored all calls, but audited him four times and called him in for an interview with the FBI. <laughs> yeah, he'd like to to predict it, to look at it in 2006 and see it is a level of ridiculousness and ability that no no joke you can give me a hundred lifetimes yeah. to focus solely on it and I couldn't comprehend it with the ability of hindsight and being able to piece together what happened and why it happened and for that to for that to be explained to you over the course of 300 pages it becomes they, they do a really really good job of breaking it down in the book it's a little bit like do you know you can get like chess for dummies yeah the book, I feel like they do go in, they, I mean, they do go into some, the, the technical side of it because it's, it's with between interviews and conversations between the guys, um, as well. But there are, there are literally 25 page, 25 page stretches where it's subprime mortgages, subprime mortgage bonds for dummies. I thought it was, um, quite refreshing. And because they set the tone of the film out early, that they can do the, this actually happened or it didn't quite happen like this, but. Yeah. I thought that was quite cool because uh American Hustle is an example of where they do the like some of this happened and it's like, well just just either say some like based on true events or I don't know. They've done the same for uh Amsterdam which comes out tomorrow, the new David O. Russell one. Where they say like some of this happened and it's like, just give me one or the other. I don't like yeah. doing that. Yeah, there's the scene, isn't there, where the two younger bankers can't remember their yeah. names, where they find the uh the, the like folder, yeah. but they didn't. They turn around to the camera and say, "We didn't actually find this in the reception in the reception of the bank, which has been rejected from." And then they go on to say what actually happened. But I quite like that. It's yeah, just, it's good. Like you said, it, it tells you what what's there for entertainment purposes, while still sticking somewhat to the truth. And I guess once you've said, "Let me explain this by showing you Margot Robbie in a bathtub." You've kind of set your stall out as to yeah. the serious of the film, and from what you've said, Keenan, 
um, the tone of it's carried over. So that isn't something they've added of their own accord. No, no. Like the book, considering the subject matter, the book is incredibly entertaining. It's a bad look for me. You're both uh, sounding very intellectual with the books that you've read uh, this week. And none for me. Mm, it is what it is. Shit like this I always find interesting though. We usually, I don't know if Goth knows this, when we get to the second round of the bracket, we have a category where we say a line from the film that would work as a Tinder bio. <laughs> Christian Bale's in this, Keenan. I might, might trump all of us. Go on. What does he say? He says he laid out in his profile on Match.com that he has one eye, he's 140,000 in student debt. He's very reserved. And something else, and he says his now wife said, "You're exactly what I'm looking for. <laughs> Someone that's honest." That's it, isn't it? So there we go. That's uh, that could be that category sorted before we get it started. What do you think <laughs> of Christian Bale in this? Same thing. I think of Christian Bale and everything. See the new Thor. Hmm. Have you seen the new Thor? No. Waste of a Christian Bale performance. Someone said he's the re- the, the one redeeming feature. He is. Uh, that he may is. have been me. <laughs> huh? That may have been me. I don't think it was you. I think it was someone at work. They said yeah. that for all, the, for all the film's flaws and faults, he is the redeem. He is the redeeming feature. Is that not what just describing exactly? What I think Keenan was alluring to in that Christian Bale is always going to put in a good performance. Oh, that's exactly what I was saying. That. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I've, I've, for those who we've talked about Christian Bale a fair few times like I like Christian Bale he's a fantastic actor because he doesn't have the liberty in this he doesn't appear on screen with any of the other four headline poster actors no and so they're able to bounce off each other and we're going to speak about Ryan Gosling next and so he really does have to carry it himself like the majority of his scenes he's the only one on screen Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm of the ones you have in this film, he's best suited to that. And he sets yes. out the... It's not even a, a madman, is it? He sets out that he's eccentric from yeah. the start. Just walking around barefooted in the office, I think, is enough to do that. Mm. <laughs> Turns out, he's got Asperger's. Oh. Um, Can't that, I think, in the South Park episode. Mm. Got, diagnosed, uh, got diagnosed after all this had happened. Because he, he, he's got a son, and his son exhibited these tendencies in, obviously, there's like 40 years difference or 30 years difference in, in medical advancements and stuff. Basically, his son exhibited, exhibited a pattern of behavior. They were like, oh, your kid might have some form of autism. They did the, did the test. They got some more information, and basically it's described in the book that his wife's going through a list of behaviors and going, oh, our son does this. And giving her, giving her husband the side eye, like, hmm, okay. <laughs> and basically, as this list grows, she's like, come on, <laughs> I think this is you. Uh, yeah, he basically is just like, yeah, is she, is his wife's like, pretty sure this just describes you as a, as a, as a human being. And he's like, oh, right, that makes a lot of sense. Well, yeah. Ryan Gosling is supposed to be almost one of the more normal characters in this film. I, I thought mm. the way he looks in this, the only way I thought to write it down was he doesn't look like a good looking person in this which is how he is in almost every other film which is a difficult task to achieve for Ryan Gosling 
he looks like an okay looking person that thinks they're good looking and that's the way he's supposed to play this character in that he's mm. trying to be something a bit more than he is and he's been laughed mm. out of town by all these other people. Um, he's like on the outskirts of smug but not smart enough to be off-putting. And he plays this fine balance in here where he almost has this like prestige worldwide speech to try and get them involved. Gets his Jenga blocks out. His character is the one that brings a smile to my face the most while watching this film. And then I think him and Steve Carell are depending on which mood you're in when you watch the film is probably who's a praise you'd sing higher but I think if you're going to have Steve Carell be as depressing as he is in a film that as we've said the subtext you're shocked that they've able, they've been able to make it as exciting as it is for what it, they're talking about Yeah. and so you probably do need Ryan Gosling's character to bring a little light to the party well obviously that's what, it, that's what makes me smile the most Oh, his depressing side in this. Mm-hmm. Very glib. Yeah, he definitely is. <laughs> yeah, and I like that. I think it just it's just more of a real character, isn't it? It's not mm-hmm. something he normally does. And I think we've all been there where we've been absolutely frustrated with work and the industry we're in. And obviously there's other stuff with his brother's suicide and stuff like that. But I think it's just easy to resonate with him. Yeah. He's just, he's just had enough of everything. He's, he's sick of everything. And I think Steve Crow just does a very good job of, of bringing that out in the character. I don't know if they explain this in the book, Keenan. They they kind of allude to the issues with his brother. Was it anything to do, like, did his brother work in finance? Or any, is it any relation at all, or is it just... I honestly couldn't tell you. No. I, That's what they... I took from the film, though. I took it that his brother works at Wall Street, and obviously to make it ten times worse he was on the other end of the phone when it happened. Yeah. So I think obviously he's blaming not only himself but also Wall Street for his brother's death. Yeah, that's what I wonder because I know his character isn't real, is it, Keenan? It's like an amalgamation of several people. Mm-hmm. Which makes it interesting that they're able to kind of bring all those together although it's probably they couldn't name this person for several different reasons. For him to be so good in this, is it as simple as, like they say, the line between making people laugh and making people cry really is so thin? And that's why he's able to translate across so well. Because pre-Foxcatcher, there was no real desire for him to do any of this. Or is it just if you're making someone laugh, why why would anyone want you to now make them cry? I don't know. I don't know. I mean... He's he's a he's, he's always been a very good actor. Um, no, I, I'm not I'm not sure, mate. Honestly, why it never, why it hasn't translated, or why it hasn't hasn't been more of a thing. So I've been torn. They they've got a similar thing. Because it hasn't. It doesn't seem, unless I've missed anything, it doesn't seem to have picked up since. Like he hasn't come out of this, and people are dying to cast him in other dramas. I think it's just easy that you can stick to your bread and butter, can't you? It's, it's less ri- less of a risk if you know you can go back to that whenever you need to. Go yeah. out and do like a dramatic a dramatic performance. If it turns out to be shit, you just go back to making people laugh. It could turn out to be good. And personally, 
I think this was a good performance in this one. It's just then he'll just go back to his bread and butter anyway. Yeah, it's nice to have the base once you know yeah. you've got that. It's just that that's true of anything, though. It's not just that gym. You know, you've got a base you can work back to or work work from. The ability to take a risk is always there. Yeah, because he, fi- he finishes the office, mm. and then uh, I mean, he's, he's roped into Anchorman Two, whether he wanted to or not, we, we don't know. Maybe he was involved in this process. But then he does Foxcatcher, and he does this. So it's almost like. You know, sometimes you've done something for so long, so you want to do something different. Or maybe he always knew that he did have this in his locker and he was keen to showcase it, but it doesn't really tie in with you doing the office if you're then going and being depressing in all the marketing somewhere else. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, he's probably reached a point, but at this stage, he's as big as he's ever been, right? Yeah. So he, he, it doesn't, it doesn't really make too much difference whether this could have been an absolute horrific, horrific number. I don't think it would have it would have made too much difference to him on an individual scale. What's impressive for him is how much of a flop um, Evan Almighty was, mm. and he essentially kind of just brushes it off like that's the office, though, mate. It never happened. That's the office. You think mm. that was what oh six Evan Almighty? Uh, seven. Oh, he, I think he's he's filming the office at that point, right? In fact, it's already yeah. come out. Yeah. And it's the office, mate. He, he gets to recover from that very quickly because he's, he's yeah, basically he's, the lead in the, the number one, like the, the biggest yeah. TV show in America. He releases Dan in Real Life in the same year. Oh, also not great. Horton Hears a Who, which was big. Mm. Then he does this little run with, um, he does Tina with T, Date Night with Tina Fey, which is actually quite a good film. I like that. Um, he does Get Smart with Anne Hathaway. I like that. Jennifer Schmucks, did you enjoy that? I've never seen it. I like that. I liked it. I've only seen it once, though, mind you. Crazy Stupid Love, which does exceptionally well. And he's the voice in Despicable Me, isn't he? Which is also like he's he's yeah. insanely huge. So Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure his bank account uh, was able to recover from bombing on Evan Almighty. I mean, you say bank account, I imagine he got paid quite handsomely for that regardless. Yeah, yeah. Um, reflecting on this film, I thought the ending was really well done. There's a point shortly before it all kind of hits the uh, what, climax where Brad Pitt says, and I, I'm with Goff, I forget the two young la- younger lads' names. Where he checks them, doesn't he? And he says, Why are you celebrating? Yeah. And he reminds them for every 1% up in unemployment, what was it 40,000 or 40,000 people die or lose their life, something like that? Yeah. yeah. Um, and he says something like, You're right to be happy, you're right, or something, but this isn't a jumping up and down moment. Um, and I thought everything from there onwards is just really well managed. You've got several more up and downs for Steve Carell and then just really this sequence of whether he's going to sell because you already know things are going to go down at this point. Even when what do they get? 87 million I think they say for the two lads. It's not even really a big jump and dance around for them is it? Because he's just spoken to his mum before who's refusing to sell or refusing to put her assets in any kind of uh, safe circumstances. Mm. 
I, I read a review that said McKay never shows their victory dance. There is no dance. No, it, there, and there wasn't for a lot of the guys. One of them went and started a company. Um, basically started like a mini hedge fund, but because it was based on the amount of money he had, it was basically it was basically deemed to be like family and friends, like. Um, I think it might be 250 million or something if it's under that you know, there's certain taxes and stuff you don't have to pay um, so we, one of them went and did that a couple of them just carried on working it's impressive though to make an ending out of it where it's not someone saying I told you so it's hmm. not someone reaching like a point of um, like the end of a, of a personal journey like their enjoyment or something there isn't really anything like that no I mean a couple of the guys that bit with Brad Pitt is basically from reading the book is sort of what a couple of the guys involved thought they were like oh fuck we've won but well, look look. I know I've won but look at everything we've lost it was all in some ways mate it, for a, it, like one or two of them looked at it as won the battle lost the war yeah. and that's why there's no that's why yeah. there wasn't like oh fucking yes we've done it because there was Almost like a feeling, almost like a melancholic feel to it, which, yeah. considering, like, I don't mean, I don't want this to make me sound like a bad person, but if I'm strolling away with 87 million, fuck all of you. <laughs> <laughs> what were you going to say, Goff? I was just saying, I think it just does well to remind people the reality of the whole situation, not just the people we saw in the story, mm-hmm. but there's a, there's a wider, or there's, it, it affects so many more people and, yeah, it just does that very, very, very well. And the reality of it is that it was a shit situation for millions of people. <laughs> I would compare the ending, Keenan, to um, Black Klansman. Mm. You know, where they show, in this, they show what sounds like it was going to be a positive news story with all of these bankers, at least a lot of them went to prison, and yeah. then they do almost like a record scratch and say, actually, mm. only one guy went and they went through and you had where they showed the real-life footage in Black Klansman, wasn't it? All these years yeah. later to say this is still an issue. And... Uh, it's, it reminds me an awful lot of the other guys as well. The Will Ferrell? Mm-hmm. Really? Go on. I'm, I'm... Have you never seen the ending of the other guys? Yeah. It does we, did, the... we did it on here with you. It does the exact same thing. It talks about the Ponzi. That's obviously about a Ponzi scheme as opposed to subprime mortgages, but it does the exact same thing. Talks about yeah, Bernie Madoff yeah, yeah. and takes you through it and talks about the rise in unemployment and so on and so forth. It is. I guess it didn't very hit me similar. as hard as uh, these two, maybe because mm. of what's gone before. Which is strange because the financial loss from the schemes that they're referring to, are, they're, they're not, not uncomparable. I was probably still recovering from the scene with um, them at dinner. Yeah. Great scene. It is. The, 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 ending's des- the ending for this film, sorry, is designed to, to make you feel annoyed, isn't it? Because yes. it, it, it shows you the ending you expect to happen or you want to happen, then it shows you what actually happens. It just reminds you of the injustification of it all. And you're just like, well, scene, brilliant. The world's a shit place. The scene with um, Steve Carell's character in Nobu with uh, the banker and he's saying well no who do you work for do you work for the investors or do you work for 
the banks and the slow unraveling of that where they say it's about to blow and he says mm-hmm. no he's too intrigued to blow and you've got the canned laughter the the volume of it increasing slowly throughout that was the bit for me where it didn't win me back it didn't win me back over because I hadn't gone anywhere but it, it refocused me really and because we've just spoken about Rosamund Pike and Mickey and at least have said how how great of a villain we thought she was. They didn't really need to paint a villain in this because we're already, unless you're in that industry, automatically inclined to look at these bankers as, if not an enemy, then certainly we're not looking at them in a positive light, certainly yeah. not uh, these days. And so the way they do frame that throughout the film to very steadily move from these guys are stupid to these guys are borderline evil is mm. so well done because you have the incident with the uh, lady, uh, the broker, and about the grading of the bonds, and she's kind of playing stupid until the end. And then you get this guy who's so unashamedly up front with the crookery going on. Yeah, I think the whole thing is so well done. When I said are we supposed to understand it? I think they do so well in explaining enough for us to be able to be able to have our emotions tied in with the film. And then the scene with them in the Lehman Brothers office at the end, when it's all deserted, I thought was a great ending for the film. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree on that. They also throw in, you know, the, I don't know if you remember, there's the little scene of um, where Karen Gillan's at the pool. They say it's like yep. brother's ex. And then she's obviously saying she used to work for the FCC and now she's trying to get a job with one of the banks. And they're like, oh, hang on a minute. Isn't that a conflict of interest? And she's just like, yeah, I don't care. Like, go I away. Couldn't work but then, out her face now that you said it's her. Yeah, but then they do show her later on in the film when they're leaving some sort of hotel yep. and she kisses the banker guy goodbye. And I saw that as, oh, it's just showing like how corrupt and in bed they all are with each other kind of thing. Literally. Yeah, yeah literally in bed. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything else to add before we get on to the judging? Appreciate it. It's been a long old... Uh... I'm actually a big big fan of this film. I think, like I said, it's, it's one of those you don't want to watch too late at night because <laughs> no. you're, you're going to have to concentrate on it. But I think I think it was done well. It's a subject which... Again, people are going to read the synopsis and think, fuck me, I'm not watching that. But I think it, it does it well enough to, to draw you in and use as examples, even like the Jenga blocks. I thought just visual examples. And you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I I thought they... I don't think you could do this with um, an unknown set of actors. I do think you needed the star power here to at least bring us in and keep us focused yeah. on the, the people that we're associating with here. I don't think this could be like a directorial debut of someone that we've never heard of. Adam McKay, obviously, been known from comedies. But, yeah, this, this couldn't be a lot of first-time guys and this them making their name because I just don't think, one, we tune in to see it, and two, we may not care enough. I think also using Ryan Gosling as the narrator who also adds a bit of comedic value with like some charms, of his yeah. one-liners. Yeah, it, it means... He always charms you. If you're not quite understanding what's going on, you're still kind of drawn to what's what he's saying and like following on his story. 
exactly. Let's get into it. Keenan, which film did you prefer? Uh, Gongo. Goff, what about you? I actually prefer the big short. Hmm. It's Gone Girl for me. Sure. Goff, which film do you think is more rewatchable? Gone Girl. Keenan? Yeah. I agree. Um, <laughs> Keenan, best moment slash scene? The big reveal, mate. Uh, I, yeah, it's hard for me to argue with that. What do you reckon, Goff? Yeah, I, I can't really argue with that one, to be fair. Knowing that what was already going to happen anyway, it's still <laughs> done brilliant. Or that close to and the uh, the Neil Patrick Harris death. Yeah, yeah. R.I.P. my boy. Keenan, um, best quote. It's 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 in that it's in that scene, mate. Okay. It's her talking. Mine that monologue. Her. That monologue. Bangs. Kind of convenient end note to the diary, don't you think? Mm, I do. <laughs> that is that is that is very good. Um, what about you, Goff? Mine is Tanner Bolt. I swear you two are the most fucked up people I've ever known, <laughs> and I specialise in fucked up. MVP is can it be anyone but Amy? No, she does she does it all. Michael Berry, a very close second mine. He achieves everything he wants to achieve, and yeah. comes out millions in front. Mm-hmm. And he actually looks like he's gone through more by the end of it than <laughs> Amy. <does. laughs> yeah, yeah. As a side note, why did the hospital not wash the blood off her? That really annoyed me because that they definitely would not be having her in scrubs with the. I blood did think that all she just sat there with dried blood. Bizarre. Bearing in mind, they also know it's not her own blood. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just someone else's blood just all over her. Leaving her suspected rapist kidnapper's blood all over her. <laughs> Goff, best side character. Um. Ooh. Tanner Bolt. You, you would see where we can be sometimes loose with what makes a side character. Keenan, who's the side, side character for you? It's, uh, it's funny you ask. It's funny you mentioned being loose with side characters. Yeah. <laughs> Cause in the big short, who will you give me? Uh, probably anyone outside of Steve Carell and Christian Bale. Perfect. It's fine. Yeah. In which case is Ryan Gosling. Surely he's not a side character. That's well, why I ask, though. You got yeah. enough. I've partly given up in terms of saying what is and isn't because Brad, Brad Pitt would be a side character in that. I think that's fine. This is why I asked because Brad Pitt was my next go-to. So well, it's, we it's did, up to you. We did try instilling a boundary of uh, a side character, someone that wouldn't make the poster, and then American Pie blew that up. Thank you. <laughs> the only thing I say about Ryan Gosling is he's he's literally the narrator, so I it's uh, that. see how that could be. The side character. You have, have to you... remove the narrator from the character. Have you okay. seen Back to the Future, Goth? Yeah. When Not I tell you Keenan tried calling Doc a side character, wow. we actually <laughs> had to try and instill some kind of... Moana's man, my got eight minutes of screen time. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's in, it's, it was his definition, and then he got upset because... Pre the poster thing, by the way, this is... It he then got the upset because... Huh? I said it was pre the poster thing, you're right. It was. He then got upset because he really, really, really likes Back to the Future. I, I thought did. I was being disrespectful. I made I made my pick 
based on your criteria. Don't get upset if you don't <laughs> like it. I still think it was disrespectful. See, this is my point. It wasn't it wasn't rude. It wasn't meant to be disrespectful. You used to do it based on the amount of screen time. The geezer ain't in the film a lot. I think it's been your most disrespectful season. What, this one? Yes. Um, I think you had a taste it after we did seven. It was like um, when the vampire tastes blood for the first time, like the transformed one in films. You could take it as a compliment, maybe on growing into my own as a, a, a <laughs> as a podcaster. As a critic. Nah. Still, Ron Tomatoes rejecting us as official critics stunk. Yeah, they're absolutely shite they employ as well. Fucking so, that is disrespectful. Uh, which film had better character development? Better uh, character development? Gone Girl. I agree. That's, that's, that's not even a question. Josh, considering it. Well, the others are, are based on real people, loosely, aren't they? So you can have to say Gone Girl. It's uh, not even that. I don't think overly in for three of the, or at least two of the four. Just developed characters. Steve Carell's largely the same guy at the start yeah. and at the end, isn't it? Christian well, Bale is... Because I think Steve Carell finally lets go of what's yeah. causing him his issues. Like, that's the whole point of his development at the end. Yeah. Christian Bale is the guy. He's just, he's like, he's just there. Um, Pitt changes, changes somewhat. But even that's... I don't know if it's a development of a character or if it's a reaction to, a reaction to events. Yeah. yeah. But no, by the by, most dramatic scene. Um, it's 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 the. Uh, of course, it is. It's the end of it's the age for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Best soundtrack, Goth. Big Short. What do you think, Keenan? No, it's a Big Short. You've got Metallica. You've got Nirvana cover. You've got Kalis. You've got Ludacris. You've got Gorillas. What more do you want? Well, I was interested in Keenan's take because usually if you have a tailored score, he leans that way. Yeah, but this is just a good soundtrack. And it's put it together. Soundtrack. Okay. It's put together very well. The music fits the moment. When my that's sometimes going... what I don't like. I've said, I think we said this before. That's, that's sometimes my biggest gripe is when a song's just banged in for no reason. I... And it doesn't fit. I agree it's the better soundtrack, I, although I think the height of any music across the two films would be in the uh, NPH scene. But I okay. still agree. Um, what Keenan what was just saying about fitting stuff in, Michael Berry, when he's going from bank to bank and finally getting the agreements, and it, I think it's a ludicrous shake the moneymaker at the time. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. Keenan, originality. <laughs> Uh, Gone Girl. Sorry. I agree. What do you think, Goff? So I want to. I want to just be different and say Big Short in terms of the actual say film. Whatever you want. In terms yeah. of the, the way it's filmed, Big Short. The way they break the fourth wall, they explain different things with little cut-off scenes. Again, I'm probably looking at it differently because Gone Girl is based off a book I've read. So. Yep. Yeah. That's fair. No, that's fair. I, uh, you. you Probably, you probably could be right, mate. I just think the story. Yeah, I suppose maybe. But then Gone Girl needed to stick to the story as much as possible. Yeah, That's I think possibly. the story and the concept was was not worth. To be honest, it was actually just like nothing I'd ever seen before. That's why it absolutely rocked me. 
yeah. Bigger, sure. bigger impact. Gone Girl? Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Mate, you feel, you remember, well, you, you probably do remember, but this yeah. was, a, a, this was a legitimate phenom- phenomenon for a while. Yeah. Uh, best opening scene. Best yeah. opening. Uh, I actually like the way they opened the big short. Yeah. Gongo, Gongo the opening scene, to be fair, is just the quote about her head, isn't it? With her lying on his chest, really. Yeah, I like, I like the way they then link it to the end of the film. Mm. Um, best ending, Keenan. Big short. Goth? Do you reckon? No, I'd say. It's Gone Girl for me. I'd, I'd say Gone Girl. Yeah, I get it. And finally, Keenan, best chemistry. Gone Girl. Goth? Are we saying between the actors and actresses or the characters, for example? Evil. Yeah, it's everything. It's whatever you deem from, uh, whatever you glean from, uh, the question. Um, I'd say just between Ryan Gosling, Steve Carell, Rafe Spall, and that that lot between them. Your guy Rafe Spall. Just yeah, all of them bouncing off each other. I'm going Byron, on, big girl, fan but... of Pete versus Life. Pete versus Life is a very underrated program. I know you are. That's why I said it. I yeah. listen to I listen I... to the shit that comes out of your mouth. I I've always liked seeing Rafe Spall pop up in things I don't expect to see him pop up in. So yeah, I get that. <laughs> I, I get you. Although I drew the line at the Cloverfield paradox, which the less said about that, the better. But ultimately, this was a twelve-two victory <laughs> for Gone Girl. So redeemed somewhat the disappointment of last week with prisoners being eliminated. Next week, big week, Keenan, Reservoir Dogs. A Bronx Tale. Looking forward to that one. Uh, yeah, me too. Uh, two films I actually just adore. My first viewing of a Bronx Tale, so. Yeah, I'm, uh, uh, you know what I'm going to say. I do. So, well, I don't even need to, need to say it. But anyway, mm. thanks again for listening to another edition of Movie Madness. Be sure to tune in for Spitballing Pod next week and then again Movie Madness so we'll be back goodbye